0: Now, like, did Dusty's parents like name him that as like a joke or? No,
1: his actual name is Virgil Runnels.
2: Yeah, his name isn't, isn't actually Dusty.
1: <laughs> his name is not actually Dusty Rhodes. Well, then that's not good. <laughs> oh, I think I just found my show intro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days, and not-so-good old days, of World Championship Wrestling, series by series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, wearing an Alec Pridgen jacket, and I'm here with Alec Pridgen wearing a John Mullins jacket. I have good fashion taste, what can I say? And John Mullins wearing a Bob Moore jacket. We won't talk about it. Tonight, we're taking a look at Starcade 96, not your typical warm, fuzzy holiday special as opposed to last
2: year's show which does definitely that
1: it was full of tribbles yeah <laughs> i did not get this subtitle it's it's weird starcade 96 was held on december 29th 1996 at the nashville municipal auditorium in nashville tennessee in front of a sold out crowd of 9030 fans 8327 paid it received about 240000 pay-per-view buys That's the largest amount yet for a Starcade. And it's actually about 65,000 over the next highest amount, Starcade 90's 175,000. There you go. Put another way, if you combine Starcade 94 and Starcade 95's pay-per-view buys, that's 140,000 and 95,000 respectively, you wouldn't quite reach Starcade 96's 240,000. So yeah, they're doing quite well.
2: Yeah. If Hogan wasn't on a four show, that would be all the case he would need to prove how successful he was. And <laughs> like, look at the two previous shows. Oh, it's
1: as good as my show. Yeah. In fact, WCW is currently smack in the middle of its famous winning streak over the WWF in Monday Night TV ratings, a set of victories which started with the WCW Monday Nitro June 17th, 1996, and ended with WWF Raw's first victory in nearly two years on April 13th, 1998. So, quite a long, hot streak for WCW that we're near the, near the beginning of it at this point.
2: I'm not enough to name an entire show after. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, by the way, if you think that this pay-per-view total is big, just wait for next year's. Why? Because it's really, <laughs> really good. <laughs> no, seriously, like... The the amount that it went up this year over uh, over ninety five, not even close. It it will blow your mind the difference okay. between this year and next year.
3: Two of wrestling's biggest icons lock up in this all important reunion. Hollywood Hulk Hogan,
4: you got a real big problem, my
3: friend. Versus Rowdy Roddy Piper.
5: I'm the only guy who have never able to beat. as they say under the big top it's showtime. time
3: Hogan leads the NWO we are going to build a dynasty Piper
4: walks alone
5: I am not with the WCW I am not with the NWO I'm Roddy Piper
4: Hollywood Hulk Hogan Piper I'm gonna break you in half versus Roddy
3: Roddy Piper
5: no surrender no retreat!
3: It's Starcade, the granddaddy of them all. We open with
1: a video package covering the main event for tonight's show. Rowdy Roddy Piper returning to WCW to face Hollywood Hogan, leader of the NWO. Wait, the NWO? What's that? Yeah, we kind of jumped ahead, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. We've, we've skipped a lot. I mean, th- this is one of the weird things about doing the show this way. When there's a major storyline that happens midway through the year, we're, we're, we're skipping over it at the moment. We're going to oh, yeah. see the beginnings of this later. But normally, we like to focus more on the storyline immediately leading up to a show. But in this case, this is so huge, I feel like I need to go back a little bit and no, yeah. actually lead up to this a little.
2: It supersedes like four of the eight matches, practically.
1: Yeah. So a lot happened in 1996. And WCW has almost entirely changed as a company. At Bash at the Beach 1996, there was a three-versus-three match pitting WCW wrestlers Sting, Savage, and Luger against men called The Outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, who had until recently been employed by the WWF as Diesel and Razor Ramon, respectively, and had come to prove their superiority over WCW. That's who it is.
0: I, I knew it was Razor Ramon, but I, I forgot what they called him in the in the, in the
6: show.
1: <laughs> yep,
0: the Jerry Curl or the Grease or whatever.
1: Yep. Incidentally, we almost saw both of them earlier. That's true. Uh, on I believe it was ninety one, the first battle yeah. yeah, we were
2: promised they won't be on the show,
1: but uh, Hall was injured and Nash was just not there. Yeah. I guess
2: Hall got to hang on the back uh, with his arm in a sling and wearing a speedo. That's right. He just just normal wear. He around the house
0: now i don't know if this will make the final cut but when they announce them back to back it almost sounds like they're saying hauling <laughs> they're just letting you know <laughs> yeah true that's true i didn't know if that was intentional <laughs> i thought it was hilarious <laughs> that it sound like that i
2: can hear it now that's like, all i'm gonna yeah. to hear it now yep you're welcome
1: the outsiders began the match without their third man his identity still a mystery but late in the match the third man arrived Hulk Hogan. With the crowd raining trash on the ring over this betrayal, Hogan dubbed himself, Hall and Nash, the New World Order of Wrestling. Hogan, now going by Hollywood Hogan, took the world title from the Giant at Hogwild 1996. Since then, Hogan and the NWO have added more wrestlers and staff to their ranks including, recently, WCW Executive Vice President Eric Bischoff, which gave them significant power within WCW itself. Also, kind of oddly, they added the Giant, despite Hogan winning the title off of him not long prior. There's one other major change, this time regarding Sting. His loyalty to WCW was questioned in the lead-up to a War Games match against the NWO at Fall Brawl 1996, and feeling betrayed, He's withdrawn from competition since. Now dressing in an outfit that, if we're generous, we'll say was inspired by the dark superhero movie The Crow, Sting is only glimpsed periodically in shows, or sometimes enters the ring to deliver his new Scorpion Death Drop move. His motivations are a mystery. So that's where we are now. We're about half a year into what may be the single most famous and influential storyline that WCW ever had. Do you know who
2: famously coined the Express in New World Order? It's from from a speech about a few years before. Isn't it Bush? It is, yeah. I thought so. George Herbert Walker Bush, yeah. 1990 or 91, I believe.
1: Tony Schiavone yells over massive amounts of fireworks to welcome us to Starcade, and builds up Match of the Decade, Piper vs. Hogan, as he introduces his co-host, Dusty Rhodes, so cool he wears sunglasses indoors, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Dusty calls Piper versus Hogan the Match of the Century. That was a quick upgrade. <laughs> Heenan says that Hogan has never defeated Piper, and he won't do it tonight. I got curious, so I looked this up in cagematch.net's rivalries database. Mm -hmm. There were several singles match victories for Hogan over Piper, but all but one were recorded as disqualification or countout. Correct. So, yeah, as far as I can tell, Hogan has at this point solidly beaten Piper one-on-one once. All told, that's one of the smaller wrestling exaggerations, then. The trade-off
2: is that there's no point, unless you can have one I missed, where Piper beats Hogan. That's true. So it's not like the original we'll see later, where it's like, I beat you before, and now I'm back. Right. It's just, you couldn't beat me in a very limited technical view of things, and
1: I'm here to fight you again. Yeah. It's still impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was expecting it to be a much bigger lie <laughs> than, it, yeah. than it was. <laughs> Ironically, the brawl
2: to end it all ends in a DQ, I believe, or and or a countout. Famous show they ran on MTV in the 80s, during yeah. the rock and wrestling period. <laughs> so in fact, it ended nothing. It's given that we're here now covering a show 10 years later. Yeah. Clearly it took care of everything.
1: <laughs> also, this is a really interesting element of the nwo era. Bobby Heenan, who generally he- cheers on heels and makes excuses for them, has not changed his views on Hogan one bit. He hated Hogan as a face and he still hates him as a heel. I actually I really love that consistency in his character. Mm-hmm. That's a a neat story element. It'd be an intriguing thing if it ever come up, but it doesn't.
2: If somehow Flair ever joined the NWO, like how would his loyalties work? <laughs>
1: oh my gosh, he! Would, I, I don't it, really want to see that. He would just explode. That's wow. And what he would have done? <laughs> yeah. It's time for our first match, so let's go to the ring. Our first match is Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono versus Dean Malenko, and it's titles plural, versus title, for Altimo Dragon's J-Crown and Dean Malenko's WCW Cruiserweight Championship. The referee for this match is Scott Dickinson.
2: In August in Japan, Jushin Liger came up with the idea of unifying all the light heavyweight and or welterweight, cruiserweight, whatever terminology you would use, titles together so they can sort of do branded business together. So you would have one champion the way the nwa had rick flair who would come in new territory and so on and so forth they held a big tournament basically every one of the champions all eight of them entered it and whoever won got all the belts ended up being dragon obviously as you see him now at this point though he didn't actually win the tournament great Sasuke actually wins the tournament but never shows up on wcw tv as far as i know
1: yeah and then dragon wins the titles collectively from him later right correct okay so yes, the J-Crown Octuple Unified Championship uh, was established August 5th, 1996, and there's eight different junior heavyweight or cruiserweight titles from different organizations included in it. So it includes the British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight Championship, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship, the NWA World Welterweight Championship. The UWA, World Junior Light Heavyweight Championship. Gosh, there's a lot of descriptors in that one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The WAR, International Junior Heavyweight Championship. The WWA, World Junior Light Heavyweight Championship. And the WWF, Light Heavyweight Championship. I know it had three countries, but that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, you may have noticed that last one. Mm Mm-hmm. The J-Crown includes the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship, and is being defended on a WCW show. So apparently, here's what happened. The WWF had created the belt in 1981 for the Universal Wrestling Association, based in Mexico, as a partnership, then basically forgot about it. Pretty much, yeah. It ended up in the hands of Mishinoku Pro Wrestling in 1995 in Japan. In November 1997, the WWF would eventually decide to bring back that old light heavyweight title, realize where it was, and tell the current J-Crown holder at that time, Shinjiro Otani, he of the Amazing Springboard moves last year, Mm -hmm. to send it back. He did so on November 5th, 1997, leading to the J-Crown's retirement as Otani also vacated the other belts, except for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. I also kind of find it a little interesting that there's NWA titles in there, given that WCW left them a while back.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, in fact, the NWA has two different belts as well. (laughs) That's true, yeah. Boxing is where most of the weight division stuff is from. So I'm sure there's some minor technical note of, like, one is up to, like, say, 195 pounds, one is 215 or something, but it seems silly that there's a welterweight and a junior heavyweight.
1: yeah. Incidentally, during this time, Ultimo Dragon is also recognized as holding the NWA World Middleweight Championship, though it appears he wasn't actively defending it at this time, and it was not part of the J-Crown. So all told, that means that Dragon is the holder of nine titles at the start of this match. (laughs) Dragon, wearing sparkling green with an awesome mask and cape, and Sonny Ono come down to the ring with Ono carrying some of Dragon's ridiculous number of titles. It's an amazing shot with all those belts out there. Mm -hmm. Dragon blows mist upon entering. How is it possible that the entire WCW vs. Do Japan show went by without that, but we get it like four minutes into this show?
2: (laughs) making up for lost time, clearly.
1: I guess so.
0: Clean air (laughs) laws.
1: Malenko comes down to his intimidating JRPG Evil Empire music, With only one belt, Tony brings up Malenko's nicknames, the Man of a Thousand Holds and the Iceman, and offers Iron Mike Tenet a seat between him and Bobby Heenan to help them call the match.
2: Not that we're actually shown this, mind you. (laughs) no. I, I'm still not clear whether Mike Tanay even actually physically exists. He, at this he definitely
1: point. says I'm gonna put him between me and Heenan. So mm. and I doubt he was talking about, you know, a laptop with a good Wi Fi connection at this period, so <laughs> I don't know, I'm just and they don't really cut to the announcers during the match, do they? No, not not in this show, I can't recall them ever doing that. That that was something they would do in the past yeah. sometimes. It's very strange. Well definitely on like a weekday show they would do that too.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. On night show, yeah. They would cut to them, they would talk to the camera directly they do at least a couple times
0: in the previous show. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's something we've seen before. Yeah, but they can get more celebrities to sit with them if they never cut to them.
1: <laughs> Extremely smooth holds to start, with some acrobatic escapes. Ono says that Malenko has no chance, and wonders what he should do with the extra belt. He decides he'll use it to hold up his pants. Okay. <laughs> Feels like he had the start of a joke, and then the camera just kind of stayed on him, so he suddenly had to think of the punchline. Yeah, pretty much. We get Go, Dean, Go chants. Dragon hits kicks, and Tony and Heenan note their force. More smooth sequences of holds by Malenko, but Dragon fires back with strikes and a nice snap suplex for two. We get a weird moment as the announcers argue over Tony calling Dragon's half-crab kind of a (laughs) half-crab. It goes on for quite a while.
2: Aren't that weird pedantic?
1: (laughs) Yeah. They pick up the pace, moving swiftly about the ring. Dragon dives over a Malenko monkey flip attempt and lands more kicks, but Malenko counters a whip into the corner and throws Dragon to the apron, then knocks him to the floor with a nasty forearm shot, only for Dragon to dodge his baseball slide and land a kick and slam to the floor. Great spot as Dragon goes back in to dive, but notices Malenko dodging, so he backflips off the ropes. Then dives right out onto Malenko when Malenko thinks he's safe. <laughs> I love that bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice Takes them both out for a second, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. The announcer's note they actually like knock heads during it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Back in, they trade pin attempts off of a dragon elbow drop, Malenko's suplex, the dragon recovers first and tries the pin there, Malenko's sunset flip, and dragon neckbreaker. Tenai talks up dragon's asai moonsault, a move named after his real name, Yoshihiro Asaii.
2: And not the berry, sorry.
1: Malenko gets two off a released German suplex, as Heenan advises him to hook the trunks next time. (laughs) He's one of the helpful. Yeah, the Dusty (laughs) it. (laughs) no! Malenko gets a single leg lock, but Dragon reaches the ropes, so Malenko breaks the hold, drags him back to the center, and slaps the hold right back on. (laughs) Nice. Malenko continues working Dragon's legs, Malenko dodges a handspring elbow, Dragon counters a corner charge with a boot, and Malenko counters a charging dragon with a power slam. Malenko's unable to cover though. We get big moves now. Dragon with a spinning wheel kick and power bomb for two, and Malenko counters a tombstone pile driver into his own for two and three quarters. Malenko tries his Texas clover leaf hold, but Dragon gets the ropes before he can lock it in. Lucky. Mm-hmm. The the announcers nicely um, build up that Dragon's been scouting Malenko for the past few weeks, so he's become very familiar with how he puts that hold on and uh, recognized it immediately and just dash for the ropes. Yeah, his, his transition
2: to that hold is so quick.
1: Yeah, it's very nice. Beautiful Malenko double underhook powerbomb for two. Malenko tries to crossbody both out, but Dragon doesn't fall with him, rolling out afterwards. Couldn't tell if that was a botch or what they intended, honestly.
2: It's a tricky move, it's hard to say, yeah.
1: Dragon hits the acai moonsault from the apron to the floor, and Tane makes sure to point out that's the move he mentioned before. Dusty and Tony point out that neither man wants a count out here, as both have belts to win, which I thought was a nice point. True. Back in, Malenko dodges a moonsault, and Dragon hurts his knee, so Malenko locks in the Texas Cloverleaf to massive Cheers. Ono gets up on the apron, so Malenko breaks the hold to go after him, and Dragon rolls Malenko up for one, two, kick out. I swear I thought that was going to be it at the time.
2: It was really close. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Malenko brainbuster for two and nine tenths, <laughs> but Dragon flips out of another. Dragon counters a Malenko charge into a dragon suplex attempt, but Malenko twists around to his own, but Dragon drops down and rolls back, and Malenko goes to whip him up by the legs, but momentarily stumbles and leans on Dragon, so the ref nicely covers by counting two for that. Malenko whips Dragon up by the legs, but Dragon slips free, and gets a tiger suplex for the three count and the win. Even Dragon can't believe he's won, as Ono celebrates with him. So following this victory, Ultimo Dragon is the holder of 10 titles. Mm-hmm. By my understanding, that is still the record for the most simultaneous championship reigns by a single wrestler. Yeah. WCW only acknowledges nine here as ignoring, I assume, the NWA World Middleweight Championship. <laughs> Thoughts on this one?
2: It's a really good one. Um, the thing about it is that it's very technical. They have so many holds, so many you know, suplexes and moves like that. Everything feels very natural with them. I can't remember if I commented if they've wrestled before, but they must have at some point. You can tell first-time performances, even with really good wrestlers, like we see later in the show,
7: mm-hmm.
2: versus more experienced combatants where they go against each other several times. Little subtleties they pick up, wrestling with somebody, you, get, you do that better. So it definitely feels like it's not their first match, but I'm pretty sure it's not.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I was worried going into it. I know the match from Red Rotation is very good. Because, I mean, it's Dragon and Blinka, How is it not going to be good? <laughs> yeah. Unless somehow they're both, like, poorly wasted, you know. <laughs> I can't imagine them as
1: like... Oh, then it's better.
2: <laughs> true. There you go. It's just different. Nothing else.
1: Would he Would he be the Ultimo drunken then?
2: Yep, yeah, yeah. <sighs> I mean, the man of a thousand beers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was worried watching this match going into it thinking, is that would they hold the crowd? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of technical hold, there's a lot of submission attempts. But thankfully, they, they bring in enough strikes and then we'll see Dragon a lot of like flying moves without it being like a high flying spectacle, per se. So it's enough of the crowd reacts to everything.
1: Yeah. There is one dude in the crowd. Yes. Briefly goes out,
6: "Boring."
1: Yeah, you caught that too. No, and, I, <laughs> and
0: and and I thought it was the main guy that I keep on watching throughout all the matches and he's in a gray shirt with with horizontal stripes that's like leading the charge for everything. He's a <laughs> one man like wave. <laughs> <laughs> like he is up and cheering before anyone else. And there's a few in the back, but he's He's active in every single pen or whatever throughout the whole thing,
1: and he, I watched him quite a bit during the show. <laughs> Good. Everything else, yeah, the crowd is super hot for this one. Yes. A lot of close calls. A lot of close oh,
7: calls. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically, my summary is it's really strong, really tactical, and they really nail the drama of it, because some of these matches can't be dry. I hate to pick on matches. Good matches too much, per se, but... Then that match we had with uh, Masahiro Chono and Great yeah. Muda, I had set high hopes for and it is it is really well done. But it's just, I got nothing from the matches. There's no drama for me. There's just people doing holes in each other. Yeah. That's the sort of thing attributed to Malenko, I think, mostly, falsely, because his whole character is not being really dramatic. But he does actually show good drama and good mm-hmm. energy in this match. So it's definitely a good showcase of both of them, I would say. And. Possibly the strongest opener, but, yeah, much. Doesn't look a pair of everything. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a it's a good opener, definitely.
2: Definitely up there.
0: Yeah, I agree. This is a very strong opener. I know the 95, I was happy to have a quick one or something that wasn't drawn out or anything, mm-hmm. but, you know, there was about 20 minutes in this match. Maybe maybe 18 once you count the intros and everything, but it was mm-hmm. a long match, and I didn't mind that at all. Uh, lots of reversals. Um, I got some newfound respect from Malenko. Ultimo Dragon was awesome. I like the one bit where they get out of a hold and they do like a little backflip and move and, you know, and then Malenka does the exact same thing back. Oh, yeah, that was cool. I thought that was a good exchange. Perfect amount of groundwork, rope work, uh, inside, outside. You know, it was all over the place and there was was some holds here and there. Not that it was boring or whatever, (laughs) but, you know, there was no bear hug boring. No, no. And they did have a little bit of narrative, you know, like obviously... Once ultimo uh, hurts his knee, then Malenko just seizes that opportunity and, and concentrates on it for the rest of the match, and it works into you know his four leaf clover thing mm-hmm. Texas clover leaf, yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a great match. I enjoyed it quite a, quite a bit, and there was a little bit of stress on my end. I'm like, this guy can lose eight. Belts, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, and I'm like, he has to win. And I was gonna be so like, as soon as they cut to Ono, oh I was like, oh, don't brag because that usually sets up a loss. <laughs> mm. Like, just
1: please, just don't talk. <laughs> like, we got that in the bag. Oh, no, yeah, there you go, his name, yeah. <laughs> there, <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm with you. There, there were so many moments in this one where I was like, oh my gosh, that's gotta be it, and it wasn't, but it didn't feel Disappointing when it no. got to the end, it didn't feel like an underwhelming finish like the uh, Kanemoto match last yeah. year. I kept on waiting for the crowd
0: to not react, but that never happened. No, it yeah. was it was up down up down.
1: Just they were getting as much exercise out in the crowd <laughs> as the two combatants. I think it's the brain buster where you know it gets like two and nine tenths, and the crowd all like launches to their feet, thinking that he's won, and then realizes, oh, and like you could see the, yeah, yeah. the like air go out of him for a moment. Was really neat, yeah. Well, I was really happy that
0: Ultimo won. It would be so like messed up if he lost eight, eight, to <laughs> eight belts, and then I'd have to like figure out where they go, you know, like later yeah. on. And I'm glad they didn't do that. I think it also opens up a redemption match where there's like only one belt on the line, kind of <laughs> thing, and they could try to get it back. But great match. I
1: enjoyed it quite a bit. I think it sets an awesome tone for '96. Yeah. What a match incredibly complex, but they kept a very quick pace for the whole time. They had loads of creative holds and transitions between both of them, intermixed with dragons, excellent kicks, and some impressive acrobatic work that you guys were mentioning, and very clever spots. I also appreciate how Malenko makes sure to do different versions of many moves from the usual ones you'll see. So, like, he won't do a regular powerbomb, but he'll do a double underhook powerbomb. bomb. Mm-hmm. Both guys had a seemingly endless supply of moves. They just kept coming, and whenever I thought I knew how something was going to go, I was wrong. The finishing sequence was great. I love a fast and complicated finish like that. Excellent, excellent match with a really hot crowd, except for the one jerk that yelled boring.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think the guy standing up in the gray and striped shirt makes up for it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're gonna rewatch this, and that's all you're gonna see. Yeah, I'm gonna look for him now. I'm gonna. He's in the the front row and red in in the red seats, or there's just two people in red shirts next to him. (laughs) They're red seats.
1: (laughs) You'll see it. All right, I I will look for him. I will look for him.
2: Well, it's like there's one guy who goes to a lot of WWE shows. Always wears the same outfit, so you know he's there. He wears like this beige cap. He has those little like just the chin goatee. Just a little stubble on the bottom. And, like, this neon green, like, smiley face shirt he wears. Okay. He's on so many shows. To your point of, you notice people. I watched the first VW show. I what part anyways. And on the hard camera, who do I see? Green shirt guy. I'm <laughs> like, oh, no! You betrayed them. <laughs> Random guy. I don't know. That's funny. I definitely know you feel like yeah. one guy.
1: Yeah, it's great when the crowd is effectively part of the show. And yeah. that, you definitely get that feeling tonight. Coming out of this, Dragon has
2: a big title defense in Japan against Liger, which he loses, unfortunately. So it's, he lost his 8th belt, but I don't think he loses his ninth belt. I think he keeps it one extra. Yeah, players.
1: that's not part of the J-Crown, so... Right.
2: And to record, that match is in January.
1: <laughs> of course.
2: There is a rematch between Dean Malenko and Ultimo Dragon. However, it's not a pay-per-view like I was looking into, mm-hmm. because... January show was something much worse than they it on that. Yeah. So instead, That's... at Class of Champions, you get the rematch. Oh, okay. Where Dragon comes in with now just officially just the WWE Cruiserweight title against Tablanco, who wins it back. All right. Also in January.
1: Yep. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Not a good January for the Dragon. No. But a very good December.
2: <laughs> yes. His next appearance is on Super Brawl in a dark match. So he goes from opening. Starkate with eight title belts to a dark match with no title belts mm.
1: in a month and a half. Alright. Sadly a bit of a fall for him. Yep. We go right to the next match. Yes. <laughs> no no messing around on this show. So our second match is Akira Hokuto with Sunny Ono and Kensuke Sasaki versus Medusa to establish the inaugural WCW Women's Heavyweight Champion. The referee for this match is Mere Universe Nick Patrick. <laughs> yes, pretty much. He's got a, got a nice goatee going on there.
0: <laughs> a weird owl hair, too. Like, like if it was trimmed.
2: Oh, I thought you were talking about me. I thought I was confused. No. <laughs> You're just <an> owl. <laughs> well, I, th- I thought weird we owl hair. Weird. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Actually, before the show we just covered, uh, at 95, famously, in October of 95, they bring a Medusa, who still holds the WWF Women's Championship. Mm-hmm. She shows up, walk up to the booth when they're actually filming the booth, and complains about how bad the belt is and dumps in the trash. Which basically got her blackest in WWF until like three years ago. Yeah. Huh. Following this big team moment and bringing her in, they did nothing. There's no women's division at all in WWF at this point in 95. Going into 96, there's still not one. They finally started giving her matches. She has a series of matches, 96, against people Bull and Akano. But there's no title they're fighting for. It's not until November where they decide, okay, maybe we should have a title, given that we brought her in specifically because she left the company who was not supporting the title she had. Yeah, maybe we should do that, I guess. Yeah. So they hold an eight-woman tournament, which is seven women from Gaia, a Japanese wrestling promotion, and Medusa. Okay. So yeah, they is, this is a cross motional belt, kind of like WWF's belt was initially.
0: I got the sense that this was like inspired. I mean, this is pretty progressive for WCW. So I thought this was going to be inspired from Japan. And now that you said that, I that is confirmed. <laughs> like hundred <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, percent. Yeah, Gaia is an all female or
2: was I think it's not running anymore. All female Japanese wrestling promotion.
0: No, I think that's great. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: Hugato works for them. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's a lot more thought into her, uh, you know, costume and everything yeah. else and her personality. Oh my gosh, yeah. And Medusa, I'm like, there is no Greek
1: inspiration. Her name might as well be Mad USA. <laughs> that's, and that, that's, that's actually, I, I should let you know, her name is a shortening of Made in the USA. Oh, I thought it was that's Mad. That's literally, yeah, yeah. Mad, like she's angry. You know, <laughs> yeah, so it's nice. it's confusing. <laughs>
2: okay. The intern, anyone's stone is really disappointing. Yeah. Is five yeah, stars.
1: It is. <laughs> <laughs> So the next match... Oh, sorry.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. yeah, turn this down.
1: So, like Al said, this is the final match in a tournament meant to crown the WCW Women's Heavyweight Champion. In starting matchups, Medusa beat Reina Yabuki, Zero beat Malia Hosaka, Kaoru beat Sonoko Kato, and Akira Hokuto beat Miyako Sadamura. In the semifinals, Medusa beat Zero, and Akira Hokuto beat Kaoru. So, uh, Al, what's slightly strange about all this?
2: The woman that Medusa beats in their first round match is Akira Hokuto wearing a mask.
0: <laughs> so it's not really seven, it's...
1: it's... It's six, with one of them being twice, six, yes. Six
2: different women, basically. Yes.
1: So, yeah, uh... Reina Yabuki is Akira Hokuto wrestling in a mask. This was apparently, from what I've been understanding, an actual alternate gimmick that she just regularly did. Correct. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, Hokuto as Reina, lost to Medusa, then wrestled unmasked to beat Meiko Satomura and Kaoru to earn her way here. So I kind of wonder, what would have happened if Reina had beaten Medusa in zero? Would they have put somebody else under the mask (laughs) so she could face Akira? No, one wouldn't show up, and they'd win by default. There you go. There you go. That, that's, that is the WCW booking way, John. Yes. <laughs> Hokuto has an amazing sparkly white and gold outfit with weird gas mask and wild white wig that I can only describe as post-apocalyptic bridal wear. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see that.
1: Sasaki has a striped shirt. Yep. It's quite a downgrade from his God of Fire jacket the previous year. <laughs> I was getting a lot of Borderlands slash Mad Max <laughs> yes. feel, feels, too. I'm like, oh, designer apocalyptic wear. Yes. Yeah. Her uh, her actual wrestling gear looks more like kind of fantasy barbarian queen, I thought, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Uh, Sasaki and Hokuto are married. Yes. In fact, John, as the one of us to actually, you know, attract a mate, I got a question for you. <laughs> 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 okay. How long did it take you to, uh, from, from, from meeting her to, to proposing? One year. One year? One year and maybe one month. Okay. Okay. Kensuke Sasaki has you beat. He proposed during the first date. <laughs> well, he knows what he likes. Yeah. Yeah. That jacket should have said God of Love, huh? Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
1: And they're still married to this day. Yep. If, like two or yeah. three kids, yeah. That is that is super cool. I mean, love at first sight right there. <laughs> yeah. No, I think
0: my dad and my mom dated for like six weeks before he proposed.
1: There you go. See, that's a marathon. I mean, yeah. Right yeah. six weeks. Sasaki. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> then, hey, w- what took you so long?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Tony welcomes Lee Marshall to the table to help call this match. Lee's here because he and Dusty called the matches for the women's tournament. Yes fun note here lee marshall was the voice of tony the tiger from 2005 until marshall's passing in 2014 that's true so this match is called by tony Shavani and tony the tiger mm-hmm. it's great i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> i was hoping we'd avoid that could you detect in his voice john did it sound familiar
0: yes
2: <laughs> yeah it's like the, um, when the guy's on Random one when you find out he used the voice of the Taco Chihuahua, you're like, oh, now I hear it.
1: <laughs> Medusa has a sparkly America outfit and U.S. flag. It kind of made me think of American gladiators.
2: Well, my first thought is that she took the flag that Sting left backstage a year ago.
1: Uh, yeah, there, there, there you go. yeah.
2: Also against Sasaki, by the way.
0: The Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Bob, you just unlocked a part of my brain that I forgot about. Like, like I, I forgot American Gladiators came back, and I just watched, like, three of them. And that is not good. I, I, like, I'm like, fearful of tennis balls now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I see that now, totally.
1: Yep, yeah. Very familiar-looking outfit there.
0: You'd be blast.
2: <laughs> they all have names like
1: that. Jazz wasn't one of them. Jazz, or something like that. That's an Autobot. Yeah. Yeah, I I get American Gladiators and Transformers confused all the time, mm, you know. It's the sound effects. <laughs> Hokuto ambushes Medusa as she poses on the turnbuckle and flings her to the mat. Hokuto hurls Medusa around the ring by her hair, and Ono cuts off a Medusa comeback with a trip. Dusty points out that Sasaki gets in Ono's face for that. Hokuto drags Medusa up in the corner for a suspended choke. Ow. Yeah. Tony and Dusty are aghast that Nick Patrick is the ref here, as they're sure he is a member of the NWO. Not Nick Patrick, I won't believe it. I mean, come on. Wh- he is what? the most honorable referee. That's, I Haven't we know. always said that? You Slander. keep saying it. Yeah. Slander, I tell you. Slander. Slander. <laughs> Medusa counters a Hokuto top rope move with a handstand's head scissors, but Hokuto knocks her down and chokes her on the ropes by standing on her shoulders. Impressive balance there. Before getting a scorpion deathlock, I guess she figured we'd miss it with Sting hanging out in the rafters these days. <laughs> she transitions to an STF and then to foot biting. As Dusty says, she's a teething on a foot. <laughs> I don't know, it's, it seems like biting a boot would be... Tougher on your own teeth, actually. I would think
2: so.
0: Yeah, unless your jaw is from James Bond. Movie, yeah, well, say. yeah. yeah no. And Medusa actually has the same wrestling shoes that I I wore when I wrestled. Really? Yeah, same Asics blue.
1: Yep, that's cool. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got a, Got a, You got a connection, John. Yeah. You ever? If you ever meet her, you can share your uh, love of that particular wrestling shoe. No. no? Oh. <laughs> share your love of American gladiators. No. No.
2: Okay. She used to drive monster trucks. This is true. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah.
2: That was her post-wrestling career with monster trucks.
1: Yep. I could see that was an easy transition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hokuto gets one off a high-angle slam as Medusa bridges out, and Medusa comes back with flying takedowns and her own high-angle slam for one. Tony implies that the count was slow, but certainly not. Come on, you just really leave this poor guy alone.
0: He actually looked like he fainted. Like he like
1: slowly like moved out. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> he like, like rolled into it. <laughs> Hokado gets a suspended double choke slam and some choking before a beautiful bridging suplex for one. They fight over an armbar and Medusa counters a clothesline with a sloppy float over DDT. I notice Hokado's head does actually contact the map pretty hard there, but she's fortunately okay.
2: That did not look like a lot of fun. No.
1: Must have been all that neck work you talked about last show. <laughs> Next
2: to steel in Japan.
1: Hokuto floats over a Medusa Slam and hits a bridging German suplex for one. Lee points out Sasaki and Hokuto train together and share holds, and Dusty says he bets that's not all they share. They're, they're husband and wife. Why are you saying it like it'd be scandalous?
2: <laughs> yeah, not innuendo. <laughs> it's really weird
1: medusa gets a spinning ddt and a smooth powerbomb for two another powerbomb attempt but hokuto comes down on her for two tony says that patrick counts faster for hokuto's pins hokuto gets a nice german suplex for two and a superplex for two but goes up too slowly and medusa dropkicks her to the floor sasaki checks on his wife and patrick goes to order him away so ono nails medusa with the u.s flag Hokuto hits a missile dropkick from the top turnbuckle. As Patrick props the flag in the corner, Hokuto hits the Northern Lights bomb and a casual seated pin—I really love
7: that—for
1: mm-hmm. the three-count and the win. Heenan points out that Japan's wrestlers are up over WCWs 2-0, to zero. so I guess this is kind of an unofficial Second World Cup of Wrestling.
0: I was getting that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sasaki checks on Hokuto as Ono takes the U.S. flag and seems about to attack Medusa— but Sasaki comes over and knocks the flag away. So Ono quickly scampers over to celebrate with Hokuto. <laughs> Is this our first women's match? Yes. Oh, th- yes. that's a sad statistic, isn't it? <laughs> yes. 14 episodes in?
2: Yeah. I can't remember if I covered it or not in the inaugural episode, because who can remember that far back? The NWA had a women's championship around that time period, like eighty-two, mm-hmm. eighty-three. However, Vince Man bought up the contract of said women's champion Oh, who also literally that. owned the belt and they just they just left it in way and they're like wow ah, we're good and then
0: ball already there
2: yeah <laughs> they just never bothered to make another title for like 12 years
0: wow i thought this was a great follow up you know like again i said this was very progressive and i thought that it was an awesome start first two matches mm mm-hmm. mhm I really enjoyed it. I actually kind of liked that uh, her husband was there to support her. Usually you have some henchmen or, <laughs> or yeah, or everything, and, and Ono was a little subdued in this one. He wasn't bragging the whole time, so I was like, okay, there's still <laughs> still a good chance that Japan can still come up ahead. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand why Nick Patrick would come across the flag and think it's totally fine to... Like, yeah, well, That was a little th- weird. <laughs> he was like, oh, why is this here? Um, I think he was just covering for, you know, it's supposed to be out of the ring by now. Yeah. It was a good match. I, I was surprised at how many moves you could do were p- while pulling someone's hair, which I, I was a little annoyed with, actually. I was like, this is not good. <laughs> I, was, I was worried for their necks.
1: Not uh, Akira's neck, though, because network. Yeah. Clearly. I, I did like the opening ones, though, where she's flinging her by her hair across the ring just because Akira Hokuto is the loudest wrestler in the universe at that point. Mm-hmm. It's like just howling, <laughs> crazed, crazed yeah. there. Akira's selling. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it was. She was louder than Luger ever is, actually. Mm-hmm, yeah, which <laughs> is amazing.
2: I'm a little more mixed on this match than you are. Um, the thing for me is, it's two different things going on the match. So half the time they'll be doing really good moves, like the uh they did the
0: finish with the drop kick and the Jordan light bomb. Like they did a, a suplex or whatever off the turnbuckle at uh, mm-hmm. the top with both of them. I thought that was yeah. really done really yeah, well.
2: Right. So there's moves like that that look really good, but then there's stuff that's just kind of awkward, like um, a lot of the hair pulling. Some of it looked good, but some of it was a little awkward. I would say that they didn't work together, but they wrestled at least once with each other, assuming we didn't realize that was her the whole time. <laughs> but you know, trust me, maybe she didn't. So it kind of felt like the awkwardness you get in first matches when it's not covered well enough for me. That's the thing, it's weird for me. is One move would be like, oh, that's not that great. But then they'll do two or three really good moves. Mm-hmm. So it's not all badness, but it's not all good for me. Okay. So I came I into wrestling after this, almost all the Beach shows, and ended. My friend, Revenge of Women's Wrestling, is more like Trish Stratus mm-hmm. because he was really coming into run at this point. There's so many moves that Medusa does here, like that bridge out of the pin, the head scissors off the mat that Trish did. I just assumed she made those up. I have no idea. Someone was doing them like <laughs> five years earlier. I'm like, oh, sorry, Trish. I, I gave you way too much credit, apparently. <laughs> I was surprised that I not watched the Medusa's stuff, because to see her doing these moves, was like, oh, I know she did them before my mm-hmm. did, yeah.
0: Well, I thought it was a good pair of... I'm not saying the second match was amazing. I'm just saying it was a nice... If you take them as a whole, it's a great start.
2: No, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I was just more mixed on the match of the role than you were. That's all, that's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I think I'm I'm more with John on this one. I, okay. it was a, I thought it was quite a nice match. They had a fast and hard-hitting fight. Hokuto's submission holds were nice, but they did feel like they hadn't quite been adequately built to. Kind of feels like they popped in out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, yeah I see that.
1: Otherwise, both were capable of some really good strikes and a smooth mix of agility and power moves. It was really nice, I noted, how this match started off with one counts and built to two counts, Hmm. rather than just going for two counts right away, like a lot of the matches we've seen. Interesting. Much like Sasaki, I could have done without the interference. They probably wanted to protect Medusa with it, but I actually would have really loved to see Sasaki just outright stop Ono and Hokuto win clean. It would have been a cool twist. Still, while this was short, it was energetic and hard fought, and the interference didn't spoil a fun match for me.
2: This does start a storyline between them that goes over the next few shows. Unfortunately, long term, it doesn't really amount too much, and the title itself is not actually in existence by the time the next show happens. Wow. The last champion wins it in September of '97, and it's vacated at some point in like, October, to November.
1: Wow. That's really sad, considering, I mean, this was a, like we said, a, a very good. Uh, match here. Yeah. This would have been a nice way to kick off a good women's division, but no. Yeah, they,
2: The thing is, they never really hired any other Lady Rugglers yeah. besides Medusa at that point. They would bring in Hokuto, and like I said, Bonacano came in a bunch of matches. We'll get back to him when we cover other shows, like Great American Bash, for instance. But yeah, they did, never really committed to it.
0: They hired sad. her, yeah. Well, they have a lot of entourages. Couldn't they have gotten them involved?
1: <laughs> that happens occasionally in wrestling, and it varies in how <laughs> well it happens. There's a lot of clear build-up to something
2: big with her coming in and mm-hmm. dumping tile in the trash, but they really don't follow it up. Yeah,
1: considering she literally burns her relationship with the other wrestling company to come in mm-hmm. for them, you'd think that they would. They try. That with her, yeah, yeah. It's a shame.
2: They would later make the WWE Women's Cruiserweight Championship, okay, which is even more obscure than this belt. <laughs> Because this belt was, as obviously seen, defended on pay-per-view, whereas the other one was not. (laughs) Okay. Never defended once in America. Hmm. And Musa's not involved in that either.
1: We see a clip of Diamond Dallas Page answering questions at wcwwrestling.com and blowing smoke in the face of a guy running the computer. Tony says DDP is a bum.
2: (laughs) I'll say we also get to Quick glimpse of Mark Madden in the corner of the frame. That's, yeah, true. A yeah. face you'll unfortunately see a lot more
1: of by the end of the series, and you'll yep. not
2: be happy
6: about it. <laughs>
1: That's all I will say. We go backstage to Gene Okerlund, who says some call the upcoming Hogan versus Piper match match of the decade, but he calls it match of the century. Decide, guys. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice yellow tape on a locker marking it as private for WCW only. What, that that specific locker? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Is that the one they've got set aside just in case Vader comes back and wants to punch a locker? <laughs> you know, you should have that. Be prepared. That's yeah. a good idea, yeah. Gene brings in Rowdy Roddy Piper. Here comes the insanity.
3: Gentlemen, I thank you very much. We are back in the locker room area tonight. The big main event. Some are calling it the match of the decade. I've got to say, it is the match of the century. From the NWO, Hulk Hogan... We'll be facing my guest at this time in the role of challenger. He's done that many times over the years when I've covered him. Rowdy Roddy Piper, welcome to Music City USA. It seems like we get together traditionally at this time of the year, one reason or another. But tonight, I guess much more important. Since you arrived at Halloween Havoc, you have made your intentions perfectly clear. You're standing on your own ground, not for world championship wrestling, but for Rowdy Roddy Piper, and Hogan has really done it this time. He has stirred up a hornet's nest.
5: I gotta tell you. Uh, Music City, USA. I sing like a bird, like a vulture. And people telling me, oh, you're gonna kick Hogan's butt. It's gonna be no problem. Are you kidding? He's six foot seven, 270 pounds. I'm a midget. Sky Lolo, me right there, baby. Skid says, with Hogan, gonna be a walk in the park. Jurassic Park, honey. Have you seen this guy? Have you You seen what he's thinking? I have. I don't listen to him. I just look at him. I watch that big dumb mug. It's perfectly suntanned. I watched him come in, in the limousine, the long Volkswagen, and here he comes, and here it is, the match of the icons. Not wound up yet, but I'm getting there. There's plenty, folks, uh, icons. Thing that's been kind of P.O. on me is like, we are the only icons ever in the whole history of the sport of professional wrestling. There's a little man out there that bought all from 77 to the rest of the time was in our Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. There's the guy, Strangler Lewis. Couple of folks heard of him. Guy George, gorgeous George. Couple of folks heard of him. And then there's this big mountain, Hogan. You know, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be something. Just, I said, I want to be something. Give me an instrument. They gave me the bagpipes and a dress. I'm the one that can call a dress. You know why? Because I'm tough enough to. I went with that. What am I going to do? A piano? Hard to carry in a parade, brother. Hard to carry. My whole life has been hard. Six kids I've had to feed. My whole life has been hard. I left home when I was 13. You think I'm going to give up? Not a chance. Of course, it's the season. Tidings. There was tidings in reverse.
1: No, it wasn't.
5: And they say it's better to give than receive. No, this will not be a problem. You see, if you take Hogan's Eagle, did I say Hogan's? Hogan's Eagle, what's your name? Roseanne Barr's bra cup, put it on his head. It's a yarmulke. See you
3: later. Wait a minute, Roddy, don't go away. I've got to ask you this in closing. What about the hip?
1: Piper hops on one foot out of shot. (laughs) Let's
3: get you back to the ring.
1: Piper's artificial hip, replaced due to the wear and tear of a lifetime of wrestling, had been the subject of taunts from the NW earlier, and they exposed his surgical scar during a beatdown. They famously referred him as Peg Leg Pete. Yeah. (laughs) bonkers promo here <laughs> but it was three promos <laughs> yeah it was a lot of fun though i think yeah
2: someone clearly told him okay so savage is not going to be here so you gotta do your promo and savage's together
1: <laughs> yeah he is wild and he's all over the place filled with manic energy only about half of the promo actually makes any kind of sense i think mm-hmm. but it is an interesting concept for the feud actually Hogan isn't claiming to be the only icon. He's claiming he and Piper are the only icons. So Piper, despite his inclusion, is mad on behalf of the people not included. The disrespect of wrestling legends. So I kind of thought that was a a cool concept for it anyway. Piper does a good job building up Hogan's reach and strength advantages, but his own refusal to give up. So for me, there were weird lines here and there and a really weird ending. But he does a good job of just rattling through the promo, even past any flubs he makes, and I had fun with it.
2: Yeah, no, it's, for better or for worse, it is truly a a Piper promo. I'll yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like qualifiers,
0: good, bad, weird, just, there's a Piper promo, and well, that's what you get. Yes. I can go with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he seemed to be, like, worked up, and then, like, he forgot to be worked up, and then there's, like, <laughs> there's, like some trigger word that he said, <laughs> he triggered himself. <laughs> He goes from, like, this guttural howl to, like, oh, I'm I'm just going to be flipping about things and talk about his tan and, <laughs> and get back into, like... But, I mean, I think a good promo does build up your opponent, but, like, he was, like, kind of, like, fawning over him in the beginning, which was just a little weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. He maybe goes a little bit too far with, like, oh, he's, like, so much bigger, so much stronger. And you're like, wait, does that mean you have no chance to win? But I mm-hmm. think he kind of brings it back afterwards yeah. pretty well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our third match... Is Jushin Thunder Liger versus Rey Mysterio Jr.? The referee for this match is Mark Curtis. The only
2: real setup is given actually during the match, which is that Liger is set up to challenge for the J Crown and upcoming New Japan show, and this is sort of just a testing ground match for him.
1: I think Tanei mentions at some point that they have faced each other once in Japan in a tag match. Correct. But never uh, in a singles match. So it was kind of a dream match thing that people were expecting.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Which is good enough. Liger is not accompanied by Sonny Ono. The streak is broken. <clears throat> yep. For matches involving Japanese wrestlers that we've seen, that's like nine straight matches, right? That's correct, yeah. So... To, to be clear, Sonny Ono has accompanied Japanese wrestlers on StarCades for one less match than Ultimo Dragon now has belts.
2: That's <laughs> true. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Unless, depends on who you ask.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you sure,
1: go. True. Liger does still have his awesome cape. Mm-hmm. Ray Mysterio Jr. is the nephew of the original Ray Mysterio, who showed up on Starcade ninety as part of the Pat O'Connor Memorial Tag Team Tournament and was variously referred to as Ray Mysterique or Ray Mysterioso. Tomato. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) So at least that's been ironed out for Mysterio Jr. Tanei joins us again for this one. We get a USA chant to start, and Liger complains to the ref, so the crowd changes to Go, Ray, Go. How obliging of them. Yeah. Handshake, and we're off. Liger proves the stronger immediately by shoving Mysterio hard into the corner, but Mysterio replies with a takedown and surfboard, only for Liger to reverse it, only for Mysterio to forward flip out of it and double kick Liger in the face. <laughs> Fun bit as Liger shoulder blocks Mysterio down, but Mysterio keeps up, so Liger drop kicks him right back down. <laughs> Liger slam into an effortless stalling suplex. I'm sure it helped that Mysterio is small, but still, that looked good.
2: Oh yeah so they
1: today mentions that liger had a brain tumor removed in august 1996 yeah that's true and liger was actually wrestling again in september yeah no joke out for like a month for brain surgery <laughs> awesome yeah T- tony sounds about as oppressed as i was
0: <laughs> yeah he also looks really bulky
1: Yes, yeah, he's definitely put on a little bit of weight, which I believe Dusty comments on later does, in the match. Yes. Liger continues to dominate with power. Uh, Liger power bomb, but Mysterio counters another with a Hurricane Rana. Liger tries to counter a second, but Mysterio twists around and Hurricane Ranas him out over the ropes and falls on the apron himself. So DQ credit, I guess, for going over too.
6: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> thanks,
2: Alex.
1: Mysterio tries a dive. But Liger dodges, so Mysterio whips around through the ropes and back into the ring. Shades of his future 619 move. Yes. Mysterio tries to suplex Liger in, but Liger counters and dumps Mysterio to the floor, then power bombs him on the floor mats. The announcers comment on Liger's new, more power-based style, and Dusty really nicely states how amazing it is that Liger's even here after what he went through.
2: Does a it- trend in modern wrestling now do a lot more stuff involving the uh, the ring apron.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So many moves you can think of are done that way right like now. Like
1: Powerbomb into the apron. Yes,
2: yeah. which Kevin Owens obviously made famous in WWE. So, when I'm watching this match with you and I rewatch it, even though I've, especially the second time, I should know how the match goes. But I see him grabbing him near the, the apron and doing Powerbomb I just assume he's going to hit Powerbomb onto <laughs> the apron. I'm like, oh right, he didn't do that before. Yeah. So
1: conditioned to expect that now. Back in, Liger bats aside a Mysterio top rope dropkick. Call the (laughs) Z-Man! Dusty gets annoyed as Heenan ignores a comment about Liger's increased weight, so Heenan says, sure, he looks heavier than a minute ago, how's that? (laughs) Liger tilt a whirl backbreaker into a suspended surfboard hold, but Ray won't give up. So Liger breaks the hold and catapults Mysterio to the mat and questions Ref Mark Curtis. Mysterio gets a release German suplex and a standing moonsault for two, then a DDT and seated springboard moonsault for another two. Mysterio springboard dropkick and camel clutch. Mysterio springboard splash, but Liger catches him in midair with a dropkick for two. Really, really nice timing there.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Liger gets a release German for two and a single leg crab, but Mysterio gets the ropes. Liger hits a dragon screw leg whip, and Dusty is in stitches at that <laughs> move's name. <laughs> Saying he's gonna have to remember that. <laughs> hey, honey, what was that? Oh, that was the dragon screw leg whip. <laughs> yeah.
2: Learned so much about Dusty's personal yes. life I did not
1: ever want to know. No. Liger hits a front flip kick in the corner, which Tanae calls the Somersault Capo kick. <laughs> yeah, I knew that, Dusty jokes. <laughs> Mysterio hits a monkey flip and spinning wheel kick, then a reverse hurricanrana. Rapid acrobatic dodges, and Liger slides out. So Mysterio hits a springboard moonsault from the top rope to Liger on the floor. Tanay points out its similarity to the acai moonsault, but one rope higher. It looks like
0: Liger has to rush forward to, like, break that fall. Like, he overshot the pad. Oh, I could, yeah. And, like, I, I could imagine it from, like, I mean... Obviously, it was aimed the right way, but, like, I mean, I was thinking also outside if Liger, like, rushed
1: forward a little bit to, like, save... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he definitely makes sure that he doesn't hit the concrete. (laughs) I'm so glad that he hit Liger. (laughs) Yes, yes. We get a weird bit, as Mysterio makes it back in at a count of nine, but Ref Curtis just stops counting, even though Liger's still outside then quickly covers by saying that Mysterio asked Curtis to stop counting as he didn't want to win that way.
2: He just kind of gesture towards the ref. Yeah. It's not like
1: he just makes it up yeah. thin air. but yeah. It's, that just, it doesn't normally work like that. <laughs> I was going to say, does the other wrestler get a say in that sort of thing? Yeah, not normally. <laughs> Liger gets back to the apron, and Mysterio knocks him propped across the second rope, then Springboard leg drops him for two, as Liger gets a foot on the ropes. Liger dodges a second springboard leg drop and hits a diving headbutt for two and three quarters. Liger is shocked. They trade strikes, and Liger goes up top. Mysterio tries a top rope hurricanrana, but Liger blocks and hits a front flip kick and the Liger bomb for three. Mysterio is just a split second too slow to kick out. Japan 3, America nothing, Heenan says. (laughs) Tony says goodbye to Tanayi. And we're done with guest announcers for the show. Thoughts on this one? When I started
2: watching wrestling, Mysterio was pretty well established. He was also, sadly, in his unmasked period, which is Bob's least favorite Mysterio period. Oh, my gosh. We'll, we'll get into that when, more when they actually have that point. So I see, I see him in that in the Dying Days of WCW. Then I see him come back when they re, essentially remasked him, which breaks all lucha rules, but who cares? <laughs> Going back further to seeing even younger Mysterio at this point, he has, like, what, two tattoos? Yes. As opposed to now where he's 80% tattoo. <laughs> he's always more tattooed than human being at this point. Um, it's really amazing to see that. Because as good as he he honestly still is after, like, three or four knee replacements and all this stuff, he's amazing to watch when he's that young and mm-hmm. that quick. He's actually really, really more precise at this point as well. You would expect that that's what you would get better at with age, like aiming things better for the most mm-hmm. part. Would, except for maybe the dive where he goes not far enough, but generally speaking he's way more precise with moves, like the landing of them uh, here than he seems to be a layers crew, which is interesting as well. Doesn't seem to go that way. If this really is the first Liger series match, not counting apparently a 30-second interaction, as they say, in the tag match, they cover the that issue pretty well like a, mm-hmm. or you can usually tell you would not guess it. no you
1: would not guess no
2: my first thought so i thought the finish was a little spotty but then rewatching it actually does flow better than i thought mm-hmm. my only critique would be maybe i'd wish that he just countered the herciman into the liger bomb just as in one move but the sequence is really still all this good on mm-hmm. the same
1: it does a good job getting down off the turnbuckle and right into that flip yeah too which is nice
2: yeah, absolutely. I was like, the, my first thought it looked a little awkward where he sort of hops off the ropes like he didn't mean to, but it absolutely does look 100% legitimate and, and intentional when he mm. rewatched it. It's amazing to think how many moves Beer does that maybe aren't the first time we've seen them, but at least very rarely done. I mean, setting, like I said, setting Moonsault.
1: Yeah. Who have we seen do that at any point? Nobody. Yeah. And like for springboards, the only other guy I can think of that's done a lot of those was Atani last year.
2: Mm mm-hmm. For me, Masuira is pretty much on par with him as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did a very, very nice job with those.
2: I'll say that that same volume though, but yeah, that's the f- there's more variety to the move I think Mysterio does mm-hmm. with it. Take nothing away from this amazing. He does like the them.
1: leg drop and the the backflip moonsault off the ropes too. Which
2: one thing I'll say is it's telling that they do mention how Mysterio does the moonsault to the outside, and then also mention that he does one up dragon. They does it from yes, the top rope yeah. and the middle rope. This is a lot about him as well that he's just doing stuff doing slightly higher than what else is doing mm-hmm. even at this point in his career which is pretty amazing hoping he would win but i, I knew going into the setup that he couldn't basically because unless you're having to have him challenge liger after that match he has a dragon there's you don't want to have him beat liger at this
1: point going into a title
2: yeah exactly yeah, yeah.
0: i think i have lucha fever like <laughs> i like masked fighters now <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah you know, starting out with Ultima Dragon, I was like, okay, I got my fill. I'm like, oh, now we got more. <laughs> it was very weird to see Jushin Liger being the strength, like the raw strength portion of, of the match. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Some of those slams and, and throws, and uh, you just push him around, looked very, very forceful, and, and, and to... Uh, Mysterio Jr.'s credit, you know, he sold stuff and he moved really quick. He was definitely the nimble fighter. There it was, it, it was a strength and nimble, but you still have great acrobatics from both, mm-hmm. both people. Oh, yeah. The highlight of the match still uh, was, you know, with my interpretation, when uh, they do the moonsault off the the top rope and Liger seems to run forward to catch him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was good sportsman or good coverage and everything. And he seemed to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was really happy that Japan won. I I don't know why. You know, like I thought this. Yeah, there's this, no stakes at this point. <laughs> there's no stakes, but like I thought that they were gonna do like there was gonna be a continuing thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it felt like it. Yeah. I thought they were gonna do that, you know. And uh, nope,
1: I I don't think it goes farther than this. No, nope. yeah, this is just the first three matches. Is like, oh hey, it's Starcade '95 again. <laughs> here's this. Here's a here's a one third scale trophy. Yeah, <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> oh. You know. Well, the good thing was, it
0: was like, oh, I don't have to feel, like, awkward with Ono oh commentary. <laughs> so there yeah. was an upside to that. I don't recall Ligerbaum looking like that, but, you know, it still looked very forceful uh, as the finishing move.
2: I will say he has a few versions. I've seen him do the one he does there. He will also do a running version as well. Get the guy in the corner and run out of it doing that as well. But he does, he does that release at the end where they drop and then his legs go over their arms. That tends to be how he does it.
0: You know how they're making fun of of the names and everything. I think it's correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's Dusty who's who's narrating at the point when they're doing the bomb. And I'm like, I think just Dusty just making up stuff. <laughs> 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 like, like because he was he was still chuckling over the uh, the
1: dragon screw leg whip. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. He he busts a gut when when Tenae says yeah. that is great,
0: and and the move did look pretty forceful too. So I thought that oh, was yeah. cool. A lot of new variations, and it was nice to see that there was a big difference between two flyers.
1: Go Japan. (laughs) Yep. Brilliant match. It's going to be a really hard choice for match of the night tonight, I can tell. Yeah. Mysterio is absolutely amazing, and I'm glad that we've reached his time in WCW now. Yes. He is so incredibly fast and agile, and he had quite an array of amazing flips and dives, all executed with grace, like you were saying. Like you said, John, it was really weird to me to see Liger play the power guy, but I thought he did a good job with it, and he hit a lot of impressive spots. Mm -hmm. And, like you were also saying, he had good acrobatic kicks, too. He didn't leave all the high-flying to Mysterio. Impressive match that definitely felt like it could have gone either way. Both came off looking really great here. And I also loved the Liger Bomb. He does a great job of jumping with it to kick his legs right out into position for the pin, so it looks really smooth, but also really powerful. Yeah. So, yeah, good match.
0: This is a great three-match start. (laughs) I know, isn't it? I I totally forgot about 95. (laughs) 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 Not the bad parts. So I didn't forget about any of it.
2: (laughs) So, as I noted earlier, Liger would win the J-Crown from Dragon. Liger holds the crown for actually quite a bit of time. He holds it from January through July. Weirdly, he loses it July 6th, so the day after my 14th birthday. <laughs> there you go. I feel like it's somewhat my fault, but...
1: Yeah, it probably is. Most things are.
2: I, exactly, yeah. I must have made a really confusing birthday wish, and somehow I
0: mean he lost his <laughs> belts. I don't know.
1: Did you know who he was when you were... I,
2: I
0: had no idea who he was oh, at okay. that point, no.
1: <laughs> so it was only partially your fault.
2: Oh, okay, there you go. Something about a masked man and belts, probably. Did he ever
1: ever root for Rita Propulsa on the uh, Power Rangers or something like that, (laughs) Al? I
2: don't think I ever did, no. No. Unfortunately, there's no no rematch from these two, at least not in maybe many times soon, as cool as that would be. Mm -hmm. Um, So, your role now, he's been really established, is to always have just really strong, interesting matches in the show. He has plenty more good stuff in his future.
1: Yeah. We go right to the next match again. So our fourth match is Chris Benoit with woman versus Jeff Jarrett in a no disqualification match. Referee for this match is Mark Curtis. This is part of that uncomfortable angle that I mentioned last show with the future Nancy Benoit playing woman here alongside Chris Benoit. Again, I just want to make clear that our comments about this match relate only to the performance as part of the show and should not be taken as any comment on the actual people involved. No.
2: Back in October, Jeff Jarrett leaves WWF under very interesting circumstances, like literally after the end of the show, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. So he comes into WCW as a hot free agent and stories that he's being courted by both the Four Horsemen who want them to fill their ranks and the NWO flair is really on his side for whatever reason thinking he's the guy that's gonna like make the forestman big again and take them to be whoa so he is 100 percent on board with jeff jarrett basically he's the only one in the group that's that way mongo is not for him orange really not and benoit definitely is not so escalate to the point where there's a tension to the group and to sort of help settle this they're gonna have a match just to get all the all the hot air out essentially and so they can get back to do what they need to do, be a strong unit, win titles, and take down the bureau. The other ongoing story is that there is tension between Kevin Sullivan, who is still running his group of the Dungeon of Doom, although none of the really crazy people are there at this point. There's no sharks or yetes or... Um... <laughs> Zodiacs. Yes. No. What? <laughs> It'll make more sense later. <laughs> it... <laughs>
1: Anyways. Zodiac's gimmick was that he could only say yes or no. Oh. It doesn't make any more sense now, No.
2: The story is that Benoit starts courting Nancy, who at this point is in real life married to Kevin Sullivan, and the story is that he's pulling her away from her husband, which would lead to them actually, that actually really happening. Yeah. But that's explained something that happens later in the match, to give more context. Yeah.
1: Dusty asks Heenan if he's seen the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, around tonight, because Heenan hangs around places like the Dungeon of Doom, which, yes, is an actual location, though sadly we won't see it in our Starcade run. No.
2: <laughs> we can't confirm whether or not the water is hot or not.
1: <laughs> what? Sorry, there's so many jokes you will not get. Which is you, when when we reach Halloween havoc. Oh boy! Oh my gosh! All this you'll, you'll think back to all this stuff. You'll be like, I get that. All that random crap that was they were hilarious. Yeah. Jeff Jarrett comes out in the stupidest outfit in the universe. It's white on the front, black on the back, with the top being this strange construct of thick strands connected to a collar on top and to the waist of the tights. And then he's got gold boots, just to make sure he kind of clashes with the rest of the outfit there. It looks so incredibly dumb that I can't believe that someone put this costume together, took a look at it on him, and was like, yeah, that's acceptable. And he wore it for how many years? He wears it for a long time. For like three years he wears his outfit. Yeah.
2: My theory is that the strand was supposed to be like the strings and the neck of a guitar. He's coming from w w f to here, then back again, then back here again, is all related to country western, whether it's literally using a guitar or being a country western singer. Yeah. So having the body of a guitar thing makes sense.
0: Maybe. I thought he was like a Reno, like, dancer, <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> like cowboy.
1: You yeah. That, that fits the, the attire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, normally it's all one color, like it's an all-white one. Yeah, it was weird tonight with a black on the back. Yeah, the back is one color. If I did not get that, I did not notice that. <laughs> Dusty says Jarrett has home field advantage because he was reared and trained and traditionalized and historied in Nashville. He speaks Nashville. Heenan says of Dusty. <laughs> Benoit shows his disrespect miming kicking dirt on Jarrett, then repeatedly tries headlock takedowns only for Jarrett to counter into a scissors hold. Three times. Stop trying that, he clearly knows how to counter. <laughs> Benoit slaps Jarrett in the face to big ooze from the crowd, then uses ref Mark Curtis as a shield. Benoit continues disrespecting Jarrett as he controls, but turns his back, so Jarrett gets up and lands big haymakers and a drop hold, then walks on Benoit's back and struts. More even now, and Benoit takes things more seriously. Benoit stomps on Jared in the corner and yells, "Horsemen, don't forget it." Dusty says he was stomping a mud hole and had a filibuster going at the same time. <laughs> Keep waiting for the other half of JR's version of that line, which is
2: stomping a mud hole and walking it dry. Yeah. When you don't see their half, I'm like, "Yes, yeah. <laughs> and
6: no."
1: They roll around trading punches, and Benoit rolls out, followed by Jarrett. Benoit walks around by woman, and she grabs Jarrett's shoulder. He turns, and Benoit nails him from behind. Dusty says to be careful if a lady on the corner grabs your arm, and Heenan quick as a whip says, remember that, Tony. (laughs) Benoit beats Jarrett up in the ring, and Dusty says he's taking the paint off the woodwork. (laughs) Jarrett chokes Benoit on the ropes, then tries to jump on him, but woman pulls Benoit out of the way, and Jarrett crotches himself on the middle rope. Benoit clothesline for two, and he flings Jarrett out over the top rope. It's a no-DQ match, so that's okay. They beat each other up outside and ram each other into railings. Back in, Benoit backdrop for two and three quarters. Benoit sleeper hold, and he uses the ropes for extra leverage, just as Dusty was saying that he might. Good mm-hmm. call, Dusty. Yeah. Curtis checks the arm twice, then oddly checks both arms the third <laughs> time. I'm not sure why, as Jarrett keeps both up. Jarrett backdrops out and gets a roll-up for two. Jarrett tries, nothing specific, off the second rope, and Benoit kicks him for two, as Jarrett gets a foot on the ropes. So, Benoit hooks the leg for another two. Nice touch there. Yeah. Trading blows, and Jarrett gets a nice drop kick for two and an overhead belly-to-belly suplex. Benoit tries to suplex him out, but Jarrett reverses and drops him on the top rope. Jarrett tries the figure four, but Woman claws his eyes. Benoit rolls out, and Arn Anderson walks on down to ringside, ignoring Benoit as the announcers wonder if he's following Flair's lead. Back in, Jarrett and Benoit brawl. Jarrett back body drop, and Benoit rolls out, dodging a Jarrett baseball slide to slam him face-first into the cameraman platform at ringside. Jarrett and Benoit brawl around the corner of the ring, and the Dungeon of Doom members Conan, who we last saw on Starcade 90 as well... Mm -hmm and Hugh Morris suddenly run down the ramp to try to kidnap Woman. She boots Hugh Morris in the nuts, which amuses Dusty to no end. Curtis comes over to help her. Jarrett knocks Benoit down, and Anderson motions for him to roll Benoit in the ring. Jarrett does, and Anderson quickly DDTs Jarrett on the floor. But exactly as he does, Kevin Sullivan charges into the ring and breaks a wooden chair over Chris Benoit's head. It looked like Sullivan was also wearing a Four Horsemen shirt, oddly enough. He was, yes. Hmm. Um, I think Tony actually later points out, I didn't catch this, but Tony points out later that Benoit and Anderson's faces on the shirt that Sullivan's Mm -hmm. wearing were cut out.
0: Must have been a Trojan
1: horseman. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Anderson rolls Jarrett into the ring, but looks away as Jarrett's arm slumps on top of Benoit, and Curtis counts the three to give Jarrett the win. Woman and Anderson yell at each other about Benoit's loss and the dungeon's interference. Thoughts on this one?
2: This is definitely a match where I have to put aside everything I know about everything else and just focus on the match, because obviously there's a lot to connect to with that. Mm -hmm. So with that said, I thought it was really good. Benoit and Jarrett work really well together. They both are fairly even, at least peer even on a technical standpoint, so they can do the trade-hold thing that... Mm -hmm. To a and Dragon, and um, Lincoln were doing as well. They can almost keep the same pace, which is nice. There's not one point where one of them is clearly faster, and one's got to adjust. femmo is definitely very willing to do nice, big, strong hits, but also take big, strong hits. Mm-hmm. That backdrop especially looked especially unpleasant. Yeah. Because like Dolan's does a full rotation over, like I've had before, where he his feet were almost down. That was like his feet hit the ground before his body does. Because he goes goes further over and back than normally you go in that move. And he takes that running belly-to-belly, which looks very much like Kurt Angle would do.
7: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was was good. Oh,
2: yeah. Best and worst thing for me is the no-DQ part of it. Because they make a point of of being no-DQ so they can do the over-the-top rope toss one time. But then they don't use weapons. No. But then they also make a point of tracking the referee from everything going on in the ring which includes both the DT to Jarrett and the Terra shot to Benoit, as if him seeing it would somehow affect things?
1: That's true, yeah. I don't know that I'd necessarily say that the intent of Hugh Morris and Conan is to distract the referee. I think it may be more of a, we're coming for woman, mm-hmm. and it just happens that the referee's in there in the story of the match anyway. Could but be. yeah, it is a little funny that it's like, it doesn't matter if the ref sees this finish, yeah. it's no DQ match. <laughs> As obviously you no know by right now, I don't
2: like cheap finishes like this. But this is like the best version of a cheap finish because mm-hmm. they clearly, I'm guessing Sullivan, especially, uh, had to say in booking how exact all this timing goes down. Because you have that have have interference, you have to have spot on the outside, spot on the inside, and roll in just the right way. The only thing kind of cheap about the way they do that is. So, on to the DDT the guy, rolls in the ring and decides to just stare at the ground, I guess. Yeah, kind of looks his away. Breath. Yeah, he's staring just straight down so he can't see that Benoit is down to, to roll him in there.
1: That's the only negative.
2: Yeah.
1: And maybe he could have found something like just, you know, turn away and taunt the crowd or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that would have been fine. But
2: he has, to not, he has to not see it. I kinda get yeah. that. But it's, yeah, the way he does it, it's like he's super winded from doing one move to the guy.
1: Yeah, the timing on that load, like you said, that is brilliant timing. Yes. He literally hits the DDT exactly as the chair hits Benoit, yes. which is amazing.
2: Rewatching it, you can tell Jared rolled in and his, his hand just sort of flops over. Yes.
1: There is no intention on his part. He's He is unconscious, but it's just... Yeah,
2: yeah, it just falls over right into place. It's not even like he just puts an arm over afterwards. It's part of the rolling itself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I really wish they hadn't done all of that. I kind of wish they had a more clean finish to everything, especially given this no DQ anyways. You have... No need for some of this stuff, but the actual match itself, up until that point, is really well done. I don't give Jared enough props overall, I think,
1: but see that one dropkick he does is really good. Oh yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that too. Yeah, he has an excellent, just really beautiful, smooth dropkick that just the, the height
2: on it. Really good good yeah, height. Yeah. Is, yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
2: But yeah, it's a really good match. I just I kind of wish they had done so much excess stuff at the end. As well as they did it, I just wish it wasn't there.
1: Okay.
0: I thought this match was all over the place. I usually get distracted when there's all kinds of extra things going on the whole time. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, I did like Jarrett in that, you know, he definitely had some either slick or powerful moves, a lot of variations. If you can look past the straps, it's still, (laughs) it's a good deal. I honestly, the first time I watched it, I didn't even know that there was a chair hit or anything like that. I, like you see, a, like a, just a sliver of wood, yeah, yeah, flying across the mat, but it's like only like what in ten percent of the shot. Mm-hmm. So I had, I was like, what's going on? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like after the pinfall, I went back about you know thirty seconds or whatever and figured it out. And they replay it nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I didn't even wait for the replay? I was yeah. like, what, okay. what went wrong? <laughs> gotcha. You know, there was a lot of interference by women. And the one thing I don't get about this no DQ is like, you know, it's like one of those, um, another match where it is just like, there's like weapons everywhere. Like I'm thinking of Cactus Jack here, you know, like mm-hmm. you just basically beat the crap out of each other. Um, with the no DQ, does that also go towards like Benoit was putting his legs on the uh, turnbuckle or on the, on the ropes to like, you know, hold his pin or whatever thing.
1: Do they That's, still ask yeah. you to break? That varies, honestly. Yeah, that varies. I mean, basically, I, I think basically a lot of refs will still ask you to break, but then if you don't, they just can't do anything about it. Right. They just won't continue counting? That's that's one thing that they can do is the ref can't force you to not use the ropes, but he can refuse to like count a pinfall or something if you're using the ropes still. He just can't DQ you. But if the guy's giving up, I think that'd be a different thing. Yeah. I mean, sometimes refs will physically move your feet off the ropes in some cases but it's it's so variable on that
0: okay and despite the (laughs) arnwardness you know when he walks in in the first time and they they exchange that glance or whatever i'm like no he's still on his team you know like i never (laughs) they and they tried the the announcers tried to build some sort of tension
1: or whatever yeah well because he i knew that was gonna happen
2: brushes past him and said yeah
1: and yeah, they and Arn and Flair have such a long relationship that it is, I think, legit for them to question. Okay, wait, Flair likes this guy. Will Arn, whether he actually likes him or not, still go with Flair's interpretation. But yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying.
0: Yep. Well, it was an interesting match, but honestly, I was I was so happy about the matches that came before it. It was like it was still pretty good. Like I didn't like the finish. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that they just counted out because his arm was up. One shoulder was higher than the other. <laughs> Essentially, one arm was across. That's about mm-hmm. yeah. it. Yeah, He sort of rolled, it,
2: rolled his arm into the right spot. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it was an interesting finish. I'll give you that. Yeah. And, and without going back and looking at the chair, chair hit, I was like, what's going on?
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty nice match. Had a hard-fought and often hard-hitting feel and was quite emotional. Several times, Benoit mocked Jarrett when he could have had a chance to deal real damage or to beat him, and Jarrett started out strutting around and showing off, but later he just fought and fought hard as he got angry about Benoit's treatment of him. Mm -hmm. The no-DQ stip I thought was used pretty well, uh, with Benoit and woman frequently making use of it to do some extra damage, but never really overdoing it. Mm -hmm. It never feels like Jarrett's situation is totally hopeless, just like Benoit has more freedom in how to turn things around if Jarrett starts getting the upper hand. Right. Like you guys, or more like Al, and (laughs) and, uh, I'm rather torn on the ending. It's very well performed with perfect timing, as we mentioned, but like you said, it doesn't make a lot of sense why Anderson just looks away after rolling Jerry in the ring. And in all honesty, I don't like the idea of the ending still. Just like you, I I really wanted this to be a solid ending to this match because it had been quite good. Yeah. So, I guess what I would say it's 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 a well-performed bad idea. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it hurts the match that much overall. I started out thinking that I wasn't going to like this one, but it really won me over as the match went on. Yeah, I agree. It did not win
0: me over. No. <laughs> no. It wasn't a bad match. I'm just saying it like There was no one in a mask, so obviously it wasn't (laughs) going to be any good. That's a judgment
1: condition for you now, huh? Mask?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. As we
2: mentioned in the previous show, sadly, Benoit was unmasked back in 1991 by Liger, so he couldn't wear his mask Mm. to be Wild Pegasus again. It's a shame. I know. Okay. One day you'll get to experience the greatest luchador of all time, La Parca. He will come, and you will be happy. Okay.
1: Al loves LaParka. It's like it's like Arn Anderson level love <laughs> that Al has. I need a, I need for a La Parca La Parca. shirt. You but. do need a LaParka shirt. What, what are you doing? I got an Arn Anderson shirt. Wouldn't you wear like a laparca parka? Yeah, yeah. John John's theoretically got a mug. Did you get that? Did you get it, John? Yes, I did. I, I meant to thank you for that. I need to post that. Yeah, John's got a Jushin Thunder Liger m- mm-hmm. mug now, so he and I have something for our guy that we're really happy about. You got to get on the ball game. I
2: mean, I have to wear a your mask. I
1: just don't wear it.
2: <laughs> I actually do. To home. So now, do we have a swag page? <laughs> we 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 should. I guess. Do you get? Oh, did you get my random box of things I sent you as well? I got squirrels. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was what I got you. Yeah.
0: And is that squirrel night from like Burger King?
2: Yeah. Okay. Burger McDonald's. This for um, Night Museum 2.
0: Thank you, Al. Okay.
2: They will continue to do the story of the dissension and the Four Horsemen leading to a match Super Brawl, which unfortunately is Jared and Mongo, so the quality
1: is probably going to drop noticeably. A little bit. Speaking of... Yes. Here comes Mongo. Mean Gene comes down to the ramp to try to get an interview with anyone involved in this match. Gene's mic is working very poorly. Yeah. Anderson brushes him off, as does Jarrett, and even Benoit and woman. Fortunately, horseman Mongo McMichael is there with his wife, Deborah, who wears a beauty pageant queen sort of outfit with Queen of WCW on a sash to shine some light on the situation. Yes.
3: You want to talk to the horseman, baby? Well, here's some horseman. What do you got to say? What about Benoit? Arn Anderson coming in? I mean, things are very unstable right now. I think this group could go up in smoke. Maybe if this is baby,
5: I'm here to tell you how it is. Which means if I tell you a mosquito can pull a foul, hook him up. Listen, baby, I've been a winner all my life. Baby. I know about that. Do you understand that? And in a little town called Chicago, if you didn't measure up to my standards, you got your butt run out of town with a bus ticket and an apple in your hand. Now, Chris Benoit, baby, that woman's got you weak in the knees and addled in the brain. What's wrong with you? Double J got served up to you on a silver paddle like a dead man and you can't beat him. I don't know what else to say. I
6: know what to say. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, you zipper heads,
5: such a pile A lady's trying to talk.
1: Loudest boos on the show, right there. It's amazing. You know, every really
5: community can win. I mean, just like you said, I was a winner, and Jeff Jarrett is a winner. I mean, Jeff Jarrett is definitely horseman material. Now, those other, those two other things, you know, like Chris and
1: Nancy, I don't think so. That girl has been rode hard and put up wet.
3: Please, we are on the air, you can't...
1: Oh yeah, well, you know,
5: enough about those losers, let's talk about a winner like myself. I mean, I know all you guys out there really wanted me under your Christmas tree, but you know what, it's not going to happen, because I only have eyes for my Stevie. Hey, 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 hey. That's, right. That's, right. That's right. So you're going to have to settle with your plump little wives and your boring lives because I'm definitely too much woman for you guys to handle. Happy New Year.
3: <laughs> Not right at all. All I can tell you, Tony, Dusty, Bobby, gentlemen out there, there is definite trouble as far as the four horsemen concerned. Woman and Chris Benoit. Maybe at the root of it. Let's go back to
1: you. (laughs) Oh, what a mess this segment was. (laughs) We get significant audio difficulties that make it really hard to hear, and Mongo and Deborah are not exactly terrific promos to begin with. I do think Mongo gets across the idea of the storyline pretty well, that the horsemen aren't the elite force they usually are, in part because of this distraction with Benoit and Woman, and their feud with Sullivan. But that's in between weird statements and a lot of self-promotion. I mean, I know everybody does it, but Mongo and Deborah kind of seem to focus on themselves here more than I'd expect when they're commentating on someone else's storyline. Yeah. Mongo's still kind of oddly entertaining to me, though. I don't know. I think they knew the mic wasn't working, so he had to just yell to the crowd. Yeah, so kind of stall a little bit when uh, to get the crowd booing so that the mic can work for her mm mm-hmm. that, that That's a nice, yeah, that's a good point.
0: And he was just trying to pick up, you know, whoever had some level on their mics, they would get picked up and basically project. And I think that's why he comes out over as a little bit over the top.
1: Deborah, I don't know. She sounds like she's trying to deliver rehearsed lines regardless of crowd reaction. And while she kind of manages the character side to some extent, it doesn't feel like a natural interaction with Gene, really. She reminds me of, like, one of those tour guides that are on the,
0: like, when you go into Islands of Adventure or something, or some theme park where they explain things and then, like, giving exposition before the trip goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like the, it's very rehearsed and, and formulaic and, you know, she's just snarky for whatever reason. Or yeah.
2: the uh, the guy that's driving a boat in the Jaws ride, and he's constantly surprised that the other boats are attacked, <laughs> and he's got to pull his, his gray launcher and bite the shark. That level know. of acting? Yes. <laughs> so, no, all in the show, there's three moments where the camera is, or cameras are just not in the right spot right away. And two of them are in this section. <laughs> because the first is the one where they you get none of the tear shot to Benoit on the main camera they use. On the replay, you see it. And clearly, the other camera guy, the guy on the step, gets it. But the main camera doesn't get it. Then, once the segment's beginning, when they're in the wide shot where you can see people walking past Gene, you can clearly see Mongo and Deborah on the other side of the screen. (laughs) Getting ready. In the far
0: wide shot. I missed that. (laughs) Yeah. They're just in the edge of it, like,
2: looking around the corner
1: and waiting for their cue. It
0: reminds me of other Starcades.
1: (laughs) Uh-oh. Oh, oh, yeah, like, Starcade 1 where Dusty's mic wouldn't work at all. That that first promo.
2: Did the same promo twice?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you read his lips, you can tell what he's saying. Thank you, Gordon Soly. <laughs> Tony and Heenan review the match ending, and everybody enjoys a good chuckle over Morris getting booted in the nuts again. <laughs> Heenan is disappointed in the Horseman after Benoit's loss. Tony throws to a video package focused on Sting, saying that the last time he saw Sting, he was sure that Sting was NWO.
2: For life. showdown
5: we've been waiting for. What does this mean? Sting definitely went off the defense. We know you've got a lot on your mind, Sting, but you realize you're already wearing the NWO colors. You're wearing black and white. So are you. We're sorry. We need you and we want you back. Don't do what you're doing. As he sneaks, he's driving people. He comes
4: up, sneaks up behind us. He's driving. Is he NWO or what?
1: I'm not NWO Al. I'm, I'm AWO, the Anderson World Order. Oh, okay. <laughs> Through some intentionally distorted audio, we hear Sting being invited to join the NWO, Lex Luger apologizing to Sting and begging him to return, and the Steiners blaming Sting for attacking them. The video, meanwhile, shows Sting attacking both NWO and WCW wrestlers, most notably the fake NWO Sting, who was responsible for WCW, originally doubting Sting's loyalties. It's short and a little weirdly put together, but it does get across the general concept of what's going on with Sting at the moment, at least. I actually really liked them, including Luger's apology in this. It's a nice use, again, of the Sting and Luger year-long storyline. Mm-hmm. Luger doubted Sting back at the War Games match yeah. and told him off to his face, despite how often Sting had stuck up for him over the past year. Yeah. And his apology here keeps that relationship front and center, with the question of whether their friendship can now be repaired.
2: Any Steiner promo Rick or Scott already sounds a little weird from the yes. delivery.
1: So when we already it sounds
2: even weirder. <laughs> it was
1: very strange, Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what I was watching. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of confusing the the way they put it all together.
0: And I I was going to comment that he does look like the crow, but you already mentioned that earlier. Uh, uh, you know, like I, w- I
1: was I was going to ask, did you if you if you'd, if you'd recognize that? But yeah, so Brandon Lee, yeah, yeah. Um, from what I'd read, that was a suggestion actually of Scott Hall.
2: Yes, as well
1: who also, you know, the Razor Ramon gimmick was famously based off of Scarface. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh Scott Hall just big movie fan.
0: Well so. and if he didn't have the the black makeup in it like he did, I would I would have guessed Michael Myers.
1: Yeah, I could see that too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean it would be cool if he had like a Spock or not Spock um Shatner. Shatner. I don't know what Shatner make- makeup looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the crow sting
2: thing is definitely very on the nose at first. When he starts doing it, mm-hmm. they definitely tone it down as far as being directly from the comics and film.
1: I do appreciate he at least keeps the Scorpion iconography. Yeah. Like his, on his shirt and stuff too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess it could be just a video package and everything, but like, you know, like, Sting's just got dark. Yeah. If you see the overall year long storyline, it, it feels more like a slow burn type of yeah. thing. So it's it's interesting going through the shows this way. We're like, oh, that's a sudden shift. Why is Sting suddenly the crow? Yeah. <laughs> Our next match is The Outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, with Six, versus The Faces of Fear, Meng and the Barbarian, with the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, for The Outsiders WCW World Tag Team Championships. The referee for this match is Nick Patrick.
2: So 1996 would be a very big year for the world tag team titles. The highly contested and actually have numerous champions. There's like four or five notable teams that win it over 96, um, leading up to not Hall and Nash wing it. Harlem Heat gets a reframe with it. The Steiner Brothers do. And of course, Public Enemy gets a reframe of the tag titles. Everyone gets their chance. Coming into this, this show, specifically the Outsiders would win the tag titles and then take them to the dark side. Although, strangely, they never spray-painted their belts.
1: Yeah, that was a little strange. The world title, when they win it, they spray-painted NWO, but they don't do it with the tag titles. Any of the belts, they don't, they yeah, don't spray-paint Yeah, that's the only best- for the world title.
2: Okay, will have a contract. Only I could spray-paint belts. Yeah, I guess so. The Faces of Fear are not odd choice for this, because I don't think they're really good guys at this point in the story. They're sort of tangentially part of the Dungeon of Doom. But it's basically just anyone that's not the NWO is a Face as far as the booking goes, clearly based on the crowd reaction, it's definitely more the other way around. This this card at least seems very pro NWO, mm-hmm. but they're they're not supposed to be. They're <laughs> supposed to be that Face of Fear are going to be the big tough challengers. are going to steal the tag titles back and put the right hands.
1: Ah, uh, the NWO theme, bane of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> It isn't necessarily an awful theme song, but you just have to listen to it so often during this period that I have grown to hate it. It's not so bad on this show, but there are shows where it plays a simply ridiculous amount of times because of the sheer number of NWO guys with matches on the show. It's even worse when they also win. Oh, yeah. It's like you went on a three-hour road trip through an area with a terrible signal and only remembered to download one song to your phone before leaving. No matter how good the song is, you're gonna hate it by the end of that drive.
2: (laughs) It's okay. okay. I'll I'll sway you with a truly epic mix of this and Palm Circumstance. Like mega mix them together. I think it'll sell you back on both of them.
0: No. You throw in Zoot Suit Riot. There's like a third. Ooh, (laughs)
2: nice. I like that song.
0: It's a good song until you listen to
1: it thousands of
0: times. Yes. Not thousands, but yeah.
1: Sign in the crowd. Welcome to Hall and Nashville. Okay, I'll give you that one. (laughs) Less okay as the guy right behind the one holding that sign with a freaky rubber Hogan mask, who oddly chose to dress mostly in Hogan's NWO black and white, but also put the red and yellow Hulkster shirt on over it. Choose, man. (laughs) But seriously, I'm going to see that mask in my nightmares.
2: I'm glad I missed that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Rather nicely, WCW manages to cut right from a shot of a fan giving the NWO for Life hand signs to Hall doing the same sign as he comes down the ramp. How strangely competent of you, WCW. Very
2: surprising.
1: Sadly, Hart has a Jimmy Hart jacket rather than a Faces of Fear one. Meng and Hall start and Meng dominates with big elbows and a clothesline into some chops before Hall manages to stun him and hit a second rope bulldog for less than one as it just makes Meng bad. Tag to Barbarian and tag to Nash. We get a diesel chant. Nash gets several big forearms and knee strikes and a charging elbow, but Barbarian counters a second and chokes Nash and hits chops on the corner. Go Barb, go! Patrick warns him, and Barbarian gives him a look, so Nash clotheslines him from behind, only to be clotheslined by Meng. Meng and Barbarian beat Nash down, and No Cell, a double noggin knocker, hitting double headbutts instead before Meng finally exits. Barbarian side slam for a very slow two count. Yes. Nash dodges a second rope elbow and drops Barbarian on the top turnbuckle. Barbarian is stunned, and Nash distracts Patrick for Hall to clothesline Barbarian. Meng protests as Patrick asks, what happened? <laughs> Nash lands nice, big rotation forearms in the corner and a boot choke. Patrick warns him, so Hall lands another clothesline. Tag to Hall, and he hits great punches, but Meng grabs him by the hair, drags him to his corner, and beats him up with Barbarian. He fights back, but eats a Barbarian big boot, and Patrick even sympathy sells. <laughs> kind of goes, "Oh." <"Whoa!" laughs>
2: yeah, I know that too.
1: Barbarian covers, but Patrick suddenly finds it necessary to warn Jimmy Hart about nothing, so it gets a slow two. Much like Bobby Heenan, I have to admit this is a little suspicious, Al.
2: I, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm getting my um, doubts. You know,
1: I don't want to believe it, but yeah. it's possible. I don't know. Keep the faith. <laughs> okay. We get a tag to Meng, and he takes a couple tries to hit a pile driver for another slow two, as Patrick unnecessarily runs around to the other side before counting. The faces of fear trade off beating up Hall, and Barbarian oddly goes for a pin while well, he's not the legal man, so Patrick justifiably won't count. It's a weird spot that gets weirder, as Patrick tries to get Barbarian to leave, but he won't, so Patrick just gives up. Yeah, I'm guessing there was supposed to be an actual tag, and they just forgot. Hall visibly calls a spot, and Nash hits Barbarian from behind to stun him for a Hall clothesline. Hart protests but Six steals his megaphone and completely fails to operate it as he chases hard up the ramp. Barbarian gets a nerve hold on Hall, and he fades, but Patrick finds every excuse he can to avoid checking the hand, so Hall recovers and hits a back suplex, which Dusty calls suplay, like Gordon Soly used to, as Tony compliments him for it. Yes. <laughs> Tagged to Nash, and he trades blows with Barbarian and hits a big boot for two. Meng saves with an elbow drop that definitely catches Nash solidly in the head. Ow. (laughs) That was a rough one. Hall and Meng brawl and spill out of the ring, and Nash hits the jackknife powerbomb on Barbarian for the three count and the win. Heenan notes that Patrick sure was fast getting in position for that one. Thoughts on this one? My
2: description was it was a rough and rugged match. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty generous but also honest assessment of it. Uh, strikes definitely felt very real. Definitely a lot of oomph on everything.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: I do have a question about the psychology about what is and isn't um, sold in the match. So, if you headbutt them against each other, they feel nothing. And they headbutt you, they feel nothing. Mm-hmm. But you drop their head on the terminal pad to the same area they're headbutting with, it stuns them. Yeah. Okay, I'm just trying to. And Uch the Face also, again, the same area they're headbutting with, stunned them.
1: It just tells you just how hard those moves hurt, Al. Electric fencing. There you go. Okay. There's a taser in there. That's a different show. (laughs) Yeah. That's the Japan.
2: (laughs) It was funny seeing
1: Six um, try and fail to use the megaphone. (laughs) He's, yeah, he does, has no clue, no clue whatsoever. Yeah. He's clearly holding it up in front of him, but he's like not pulled something or not turned yeah. it on or.
2: Yeah, I assume it was on before. It to be hard for being, for once being like polite and not turning it on. To yeah,
1: even. his name is Six. Yes, Six Ball.
2: That's what's on his shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I yeah. should explain the ball. famous Six Ball.
1: Here's your cue. <laughs> I've heard two different versions of this, and I'm not sure which is right, or maybe they both are, mm-hmm. or maybe they're both wrong, but. I believe he's supposedly the sixth member to join the NWO, Correct. thus six. But also, his gimmick in the WWF was the One Two Three Kid, so one plus two plus three, six. One
2: hundred twenty-three.
1: <laughs> uh, so
0: yeah, that's that's the name, or one times two times three,
1: is also, also si- it's yeah. also six. That yeah. is true.
2: Although you dividing just, it is... just
1: no. blew my mind. Yeah.
2: Now, it, you don't see it in writing, but it is spelled six s y x x. Yes. Just so you know. It's proper 90s spelling.
1: Yeah, it is the 90s after all. Yeah. And they made a movie about it called Big Hero
0: 6.
2: Yes. Yep. I, I don't recall X-Pac being in that. No. But... Wait, it's X-Pac? Oh, yeah. Yes. You you know, can... I... Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, this is
1: I, this is X-Pac. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just to saying that. I didn't think... That... Should it be like V-I-Pac or something or... I don't know that it's ever used in WCW or the WWF, but when he shows up in TNA, he does go by six-pock. It's about his abs. (laughs) My biggest problem with the match,
2: honestly, besides the fact it's so focused on Nick Patrick, like he's the second competitor in this, is the fact that the finish feels very abrupt to me. Because they're fighting and it seems very even... And then it's just, oh, well, they've run to the back, so I'm just going to boot him and do the power bomb and win.
1: It's very much the, okay, everybody get in, it's time for the finish thing that we saw yeah. all the time at, what was it, 89? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: It's not that I don't, I'm downplaying that move, because especially on a guy his size, it is pretty impressive he does the move. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, no build up to it, and it's just boot him, lift him with ease, guy doesn't struggle at all, falls down, depends. Yeah. It just feels very abrupt and doesn't seem to fit the story of the match that they're, these people, they're fighting them at every turn. It's just, nope, I can do it right now.
0: Yeah. I'm agree with you there, Al. It seemed like they had, you know, a bunch of holds or lulls in the in the action right before the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another tag match? Wait, this is the first one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to be disappointed. I was like, well, you know, they've had these one-on-one matches, you know, the cameras, you're going to get in all the action. I thought this is going to be one of those things that's going to be drawn out and slow, and it was not that. No, that's true. There was a lot of... I don't know if they even actually tagged. I think they're just... Every time they got them in the corner, they <laughs> were just basically beat up on each other.
2: Yeah, yeah. They definitely don't tag that last time, but also that's neither to Hall and Nash, so...
0: hmm I was impressed with the Barbarian. Yeah? It was nice. He's like, uh, like a proto-Jason Momoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see that, yeah. Uh, the Aquaman template.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I feel like we got him on one show. I think one of the... Battle Bowl, I think?
1: We got him fighting Superstar Billy Graham back on 85. Oh, we I did, that's right, yeah. And then he was, I believe, on one of the Battle Bowls as well. Yeah, I forget which
0: one. But I'm, I'm getting like an Undertaker, Big Show, all kinds, you know, like big person mm-hmm. vibe, I guess. So like, he fits that archetype. Yeah. Uh, even the hairstyle. I enjoyed the match uh, a little bit, but I did not like it when it went to like a grinding halt in the middle where they were just kneeling. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. there was a lot of kneeling, yeah.
0: But was intense, it was, wasn't was monotonous for the most part, and um, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Okay.
1: Yeah, I actually really liked this one. There's a lot of good big man action. Nothing complicated, but the moves look good and powerful in general. The tag dynamic is used pretty well, I thought, with some nice double-team spots by the faces of fear, and I thought actually a really good use of the crooked referee dynamic for Hall and Nash to get the advantage. I really liked Patrick's part of this match a lot. I think
2: overall it was good. I just yeah.
1: Yeah. I just I, I honestly had no problem with him being such a focus on it. Because yeah. he does a fair job with the act here. He sure. starts off pretty subtle with it early on, but moves to make it more and more obvious as the match goes on. But even at his most obvious, he always has at least an excuse. Mm-hmm. Like when he doesn't check Hall's arm during the nerve hold, he actually like he's going to check on the tag partners. So he's not just blatantly ignoring it, like yeah. you'll see in some you know, guest referee matches or something. So I, I, I liked it better, even though it was still an obvious ploy. Mm-hmm. It does feel kind of weird, though, that when Barbarian or Mang do something that actually would give Patrick a pretty good excuse to DQ them, he doesn't. True. So still, I really enjoyed this one. And this has been a really good night so far. <laughs> one thing I will say with
2: this match, um, I think it maybe balanced it fairly well there's weird smatterings of it being like a real late 80s old school mentality. Like, not 100%. It's not like it's a um, night and day situation but like with Faces of Fear versus The Outsiders, but, I mean, you have them basically playing a softened version of the Crazy Savages characters. Mm-hmm. They don't lean too far into the interval head thing other than the one spot. It's definitely a toned down version of that thing we saw before. Yeah. With the Samoans and stuff like, and other versions like that. And even after you mentioned this, um, they imply that Barbarian was loading his boot up for a super kick.
1: I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. That's a
2: very old school thing you do. You like apparently if you stomp your boot like like three times, usually I think is how it works. Somehow something in your boot is loosened, so like there's metal that's it's like, like shifts like,
1: lead down it yeah. or something. Yeah, like, yeah,
2: you have a, you have like in the back of your boot. Stomping makes it fall under your boot, and then you stomp a guy. Iron Sheik would do that. So for better or worse, they sort of. I would say Arab, but Middle Eastern character thing,
1: they would do a lot. And it's, it's weird that Barbarian's doing that as a face. Just kind of a loaded boot thing. I, I think that's the thing, is they're not really intended to be faces so much in this. It's more... Well, it's in their, it's in their name, Bob. True. That is true. <laughs> you got me there. Aha! But I think just the idea is that it's more like, just look at how bad the NWO is. Mm-hmm. They even our bad guys want to beat them. Holland a-
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they want to go from Holland to Beaton, obviously. <laughs> no, I get that. It's just but yeah, I was thinking about it, there's a weird mix of old school and new school mentality in this mm, match. Yeah. Same way you seeing randomly seeing the uh little Dungeon of Doom role in the show. On the same show with the NDBO. Yeah, it's it's such a weird thing that those actually cross over. <laughs> the segue <laughs> is not as smooth as you would hope. Yeah. So they keep the storyline of the Outsiders trying to control the tag titles. As iffy as this story f- finish was with obviously having the cooker up the whole time. To point where even the at least the one announcer is applying, there's no way they can win because Nick Patrick won't count. Still think he should be insulting the poor guy. He's, he's done anything wrong yet. But they basically pull the same act the next few shows where someone beats them and then it's overturned. So it's worse.
1: <laughs> I do think when they're talking about that during the match, I forget who, but someone says... What if they just put him in a submission hold and just keep him in there? Right. Eventually, you're going to tell oh, the yeah. ref to to count you out anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that was kind of a nice touch, I thought.
2: Mm-hmm. But yeah, basically, they, they aren't telling down this story what's, and how it's played whatsoever for okay. the next
1: shows. Tony corrupts our title by saying, Let's go to the NWO. <gasps> And we cut backstage to see Ted DiBiase with the big gold belt slung over his shoulder, spray-painted with the letters NWO. He's accompanied by Vincent, formerly Virgil in the WWF, and Miss Elizabeth. A few moments into his promo, Hogan enters as well. He's got to good on the spotlight, you know.
5: You know, Piper, the time for talking is over. You know, there's an old saying, you better be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. Well, you asked for it, brother. You come strolling back in here saying, Hey, I'm as big an icon as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. I'm as big a star as Hollywood Hogan. I want him all to myself in the middle of the ring. Well, Piper, you got what you want. But you're going to regret it. Tell
4: well, it. you know, Trillionaire Ted, I already called the the man. Venice beats California. The ticker tape parade is going down right now because they're on, you know, that Pacific time. I told him I already won, man. I told him the victory was in the bag. I pinned him in the middle of the ring and all six of his kids were crying. And-
0: I thought he pinned all six kids, too. <laughs>
4: I begged and begged and begged when I came to Nashville. Tell me it ain't so. Tell me it's not really happening. Tell me that the man that wears the crinkled skirt didn't climb on the plane, didn't already fly back to mother's disaster in the Portland Pacific area, and he's not running for his life. And up until just a moment ago, I thought I was going to have to go out into the ring with thousands of thousands of hollywood hogan fans wearing my shirt and tell them the real truth that rowdy roddy piper ran for his life i'm the only icon the belt stays with the nwo and he's scared to death but i saw one of his snotty nosed kids running around trying to bum a quarter to buy a coke and i know That Roddy Roddy Piper, no matter how much of a liar, no matter how much of a cheater, and no matter how much of a woman he really is underneath that skirt, it's the nature of the beast. You don't leave your kids behind. So all I gotta say, dudes. Hollywood style. We're going out.
0: Hollywood style is like sushi rolls.
4: Mm. Rowdy, Rowdy, Piper Day Day. Vince, have you heard anybody say that? No way, no way. How about it, Vince? I know you have. How about you, truly No, I it It ain't Rowdy, Roddy Piper Day. So let me tell you something, sucker. Today <laughs> is Hollywood Day. To prove a point, to put the final period on my legacy, to show everybody, the people, the producers, everybody in the wrestling business that I made this business, I'll make it tomorrow, and if it wasn't for me, the wrestling business wouldn't be on the map, and I'm not acting with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, or any of those chumps. We're doing it the Hollywood way. Piper, what you gonna do?
0: (laughs) He
1: totally would have been in The Expendables if he could. Yeah, absolutely. So this was a weird promo, and not entirely the good kind of weird like Piper's. No. Hogan does not appear to know how time zones work, and he kind of undercuts his own point about Piper being a coward by saying Piper would never abandon his kids, which seems like an admirable thing. The Hollywood Day line just comes out of nowhere and feels less heelish than just confusing. He does at least get across a good feeling of arrogance, but there were just too many perplexing comments in there for me to get invested with it. Admittedly, he's not that long into his heel run, Mm -hmm. and it's been a very long time since Hogan played heel. I'll give him some credit for just not being in practice.
0: (laughs) The laugh at the end is great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then it's not. It's like, uh, let's, let's all supervillain laugh. Ha ha ha
2: ha. So, uh, yeah, I like how he brags about how he wouldn't work with Schwarzenegger or Stallone or anything like that. No, no, he will instead work with the cast of three ninjas. Yes. Those are the big stars he's going to work with.
1: Yes.
0: Oh, I remember going to. Uh universal studios and they always have those things where you get to volunteer and stuff and they line you up and then you play a a part later on (laughs) they they always try to do a little bit of acting before you go in there and then they made me do and they went like give us your best evil laugh or whatever and nothing makes things more awkward with everyone else that's there (laughs) than than doing a real loud medieval laugh (laughs) if i could revise it i'd be like ha ha evil (laughs) <laughs> but I didn't do that. What was it like? No, I'm not doing it. Really? It was, you're going to set that up H- and you're not going to H- do it Yeah, more. exactly. Just like Hogan. <gasps> uh, the, <laughs> the, the laugh was very similar to Hogan's. Oh, okay. I can't do it right now. Uh-huh. Maybe next time.
1: <laughs> that wasn't it.
0: That, that, was that, that was actually a
1: good one. That was close uh, to the,
2: the Trillionaire Ted thing.
1: Yeah, yeah true, yeah.
0: Money, 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 money. He looks like a really fat William Weicker. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of yeah he I could he resembles Riker yeah. yeah yeah I think it's just the haircut and the and the beard but yeah probably I was laughing
2: now if B. Yossi had entered the room awkwardly stepping over a chair to sit down then you'd know for sure he's one the freaks mm-hmm. that's just his things, climbing over chairs yep yeah it's not the most extreme version of the NWO promo we'll get plenty worse of those, where the camera is constantly pivoting, it's all black and white. Yeah. And they play music the whole time, like, louder than they need to. They haven't gone quite full insane yet. It's just them in front of a black, like, backdrop taunting Piper. Yeah. Yeah. It's not quite there yet, but I guess that's good, because it (laughs) gets really annoying later
1: on. Yeah. Our next match is Diamond Dallas Page versus Eddie Guerrero, for the vacant WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. The referee for this match is Scott Dickinson.
2: Going into late October, September, Ric Flair is the United States champion, uh, because obviously you can't have the world title because hogan because got his, yeah, big uh, greasy mitts all over it. So, today's second best. Um, fortunately, he is legitimately injured during a match, I forget which match it is. So they write in the story that he's injured by the NWO, and the giant who's responsible for the attack takes the belt and just sort of walks around with it backstage for quite a while, actually, as if he's the champion. And he keeps constantly told he's not, but he's not the kind of guy you really tell
0: say no to. So
1: yeah, I mean, it, who's who's gonna walk up to him and say, "Hey, can we have that back, please?" Right? Yes,
0: to take that off his arm. <laughs>
2: exactly. So, it's WCW, their only solution is to have a tournament, because that's how you solve every problem you have.
1: Well, yeah. I was trying to decide what to make for dinner tomorrow, and I I decided I'll I'll have a tournament, I'll set up all the foods. Oh, nice. I
0: did see a meme where they took Smash Brothers and then wrote down their custom names, it's like Pizza, Chick-fil-A, and then they had them bot battle. So, it's not far off. I should do that. And I think they actually just had Sonic for Sonic Burr. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah. Mario just
2: covers all Italian food in general. I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so they hold a tournament for the university Championship that they don't actually physically have, because Giants don't bring it back. So it comes down to this match where this is the finals between DDP and Guerrero. Yep.
1: I believe they actually um, do have a belt now, They've made a new belt because yes. Giant still has the old belt.
2: When they started to have the tournament, they didn't have a belt. That's what yeah, my point yeah, was. Yeah.
1: DDP, who we haven't seen in many years, I think... Was it the first Battle Bowl or yes, the second? The first I first one. First one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. DDP and his comically large cigar enter to a really obvious sound-alike of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. They haven't taken it absolutely note for note, but this is an incredibly clear ripoff. It's the arachnoman of music.
2: <laughs> and it's somehow, yeah, there's no issue with this. I'd bet that this would be the kind of music W Network would not be paying for and avoid lawsuits, but no.
1: I guess. It's still yeah. here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange.
2: They could have Jericho's music half the time, but not this ever.
1: Yeah. Eddie Guerrero is wearing his white and red sparkly jacket again, but this year he's got the matching white and red tights.
2: I was really hoping it would be hanging in the background during Piper's promo. Just <laughs> that would have been Keep great. the theme from Night Five yeah. Arcade.
1: Guerrero gets the better of an initial exchange, sending DDP flying with an arm drag. Tony notes that DDP got help from the NWO getting here, but Dusty builds up DDP's diamond cutter. He mistakenly calls Guerrero's frog splash the jackknife splash. Mine's still on Nash, I guess. Mm-hmm. Still a better name. It, it's, it's actually a pretty decent name, yeah. DDP slaps Guerrero, but Guerrero tackles him into the corner and slaps him right back. Nice. hmm DDP lands forearms, but Guerrero dodges a knee and lands a forearm and drop kick to knock him through the ropes. Dusty points out Guerrero was going for the drop kick first, but DDP was coming in too fast, so he hit the forearm first to set it up. Nice touch. Guerrero whips DDP to the barricade outside, but DDP pokes his eyes and hits an elbow before slamming him into the steps. On the apron, and DDP clubs Guerrero in the chest as some fans chant DDP. Dusty is shocked, and Tony says DDP did prove a lot this year. Guerrero mares him out. Pretty cool uh, moment there. Mm-hmm. But puts him back in and launches himself over the ropes onto DDP for two. Guerrero works DDP's arm. DDP pulls the hair, but Guerrero returns the favor. DDP charges, so Guerrero ducks and DDP spills out of the ring. Guerrero dives over the top rope to land on him. Back in, Guerrero lands punches but DDP dumps him on the top turnbuckle and top rope and gets a nice pile driver to cheers. DDP beats Guerrero up and hits a smooth suplex for two, yelling at ref Scott Dickinson about the count. Abdominal stretch, and DDP uses the ropes, and some of the crowd actually defend him when the ref asks. (laughs) Heenan lectures on the finer points of cheating by noting that his leverage would be better if he used the second rope instead of the top. Tony proposes a Heenan book of cheats, which Dusty loves. I'd buy it. Absolutely. <laughs> DDP elbows Guerrero in the ribs, but Guerrero gets a sunset flip. DDP tries a punch, but Guerrero slides away and small packages him for two. Dusty says DDP was a little disorientated. <laughs> <laughs> DDP neckbreaker and back to the abdominal stretch but Dickinson catches him using the ropes, so DDP shoves him. Dickinson drives him all the way across the ring, threatening to DQ him. DDP gives up and goes back to elbowing Guerrero in the head. Guerrero tries his own abdominal stretch, but can't quite lock the hold in fully with DDP's height advantage, so he rolls DDP up for two. Guerrero ducks a clothesline, but DDP whips around for a second monster clothesline to take back over.
2: That's very good to sell there.
1: Yes. Bam. Mm-hmm. DDP shoulder block as Heenan jokes that Guerrero's gut hurts like he just ate some of Mrs. Guerrero's chili. <laughs> Poor lady in her chili. He is, he is always on that during this period. <laughs> Guerrero dodges a second, and DDP hits the ring post. And Guerrero whips his leg out from under him so fast he, he lands on the back of his head. Awesome spot. Guerrero sends DDP butt over tea kettle with a monster European uppercut. Heenan says if his boots weren't tied, he'd be out of them right now, and it takes Dusty several moments to get it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's weird that that's the expression he's not heard of. Yeah, but it's like
1: playing possum last year. Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) That sounds like a thing he he would use all the time.
1: Yeah. Suplex by Guerrero gets two. Back suplex sets up the frog splash, but DDP mostly dodges. Guerrero's knee still clips him, as Tony points out. Yeah. DDP crawls over for two. DDP power slam for two. Huge DDP gut buster, and he goes up top, but Guerrero hits the ropes, and he crotches himself. Guerrero climbs up with him, but DDP punches him down, then jumps off, but Guerrero catches him with an atomic drop. Small package, backslide, and counter of the diamond cutter into a backslide by Guerrero for two each. Guerrero wins a slugfest, but DDP hits an amazing spinning powerbomb for two and three quarters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It leaves Dusty flubbergasted. (laughs) (laughs) DDP and Guerrero knock heads on a whip, and Guerrero falls through the ropes. Dickinson checks on Guerrero as Six, Hall, and Nash come down. Six distracts Dickinson, and Hall hits the Outsider's Edge, a crucifix powerbomb, on DDP. Nash did nothing. I'm not sure why he came down. Just support. Oh, there you go. You got it, buddy. You got it. Unaware, Guerrero gets back in and hits the Frog Splash on DDP for the three-count and the win. Jackknife dive. Yeah, Jackknife di- jack Splash. There you go. Eddie Guerrero is the new United States champion. As Guerrero celebrates Unaware in the ring, we see Nash and Hall on the entrance ramp. See, Page Nash says. You should have joined. Guerrero spots the NWO and seems to understand what just happened, so he drops the belt. Nash, Hall, and Six charge the ring but Guerrero boots the top rope into Nash's crotch and fights off all three NWO members for a time until Nash finally recovers and clotheslines him down. <clears throat> the crowd hurls trash as the NWO beats up Guerrero. Six finishes off with a kick combo and steals the new U.S. title, and Hall taunts the still barely conscious Page. Thoughts on this one?
2: This is a really good match for the most part. The... Chemistry between Guerrero and DDP is really solid, mm-hmm. as I mentioned they said they know each other very well, so they have the benefit of experience so they can try new moves and I'm, I'm sure if I went back and watched all their matches like before this, I would see your spots, so you could see them sort of getting the timing right and say that power bomb for instance, mm-hmm. even simple stuff like diving at the right time out at the corner or something like that. It definitely builds them up both very nicely. Mm-hmm. I like that. DDP is definitely getting face reactions from the crowd, but he's not letting Pulley change his character. Yeah. Mostly because I'm sure he wrote a 20-page book explaining how the match is going to play out. He <laughs> Probably. That's his style. He was not going to deviate from that, at least not in any major way. So he still plays heelish with what I felt was a very long abdominal stretch. He did little things like grabbing the ropes and that, but
1: was it me or did that feel really long? i didn't notice that honestly i felt i I, I felt he was doing so much with mm -hmm. it that i was i was totally cool with it i mean i know it's not a bear
2: hug but i just figured that i felt longer than the normal double stretch spot to me
1: yeah just i i don't know for me it was just doing so much and stretching prevents injury yeah
0: it's being helpful although
1: it's too before the match not during
0: but yeah hey work
1: it
2: in when you can Mm -hmm. no yeah that's true that's very true Obviously, you know, my issue is going to be, which is the finish, because it's a lot of NWO nonsense being involved there. So, is already outside with Guerrero, and Six has to also be over there to make extra make sure they don't turn around?
1: Yeah, I don't know why they necessarily needed him to go over if he'd just done enough with Guerrero.
2: Right. So, and he's looking away, and of course, temporarily deaf, as all refs are, when their backs are turned. And so... This isn't as extreme degree as we got from Stark 95, where a ref looks away for five minutes, suddenly uh, Ric Flair's head has exploded with blood, and all these people are down. <laughs> yes. It's not that extreme degree, but what does the ref think
6: happens?
1: Well, I, I actually have a point on that. Okay, that go ahead. When they knock heads, DDP actually does go down from it. Huh. So I could actually see, again, we have to ignore the deafness thing, but uh, that's for basically any interference spot. Sure, ever. sure. But I could actually see both the ref and Eddie Guerrero thinking DDP just never got back up from that. They knocked heads and DDP was just down from that still, just okay. because of that point. So It's maybe better than in other instances where they're clearly both fighting and suddenly one of Oh, them- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay,
2: so fair, fair, fair play. That maybe covered a little better. But I just really wish they could have let it be a clean finish. Mm-hmm. Have them lurker on ringside and affect the match. Maybe it distracts DDP. Maybe DDP is distracted to go in the top rope and gets knocked off and then hits a frog splash, for instance. Mm-hmm. So you still get the storyline where they're costing him the mat because he wouldn't join. But not as blade as they have to come in the ring, do the move that knocks him down, and then get her to come in his second move and get basically half a victory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the thing is the match was so good I'm up to that. I really wish they could have left that alone, but I can see that. Yeah. This is ninety six ninety seven 97 W so they're not gonna leave any finish interview related alone, so I guess it's gotta accept it.
1: Okay.
0: My favorite part of it, I know, I know that, that you don't like the ending, but sure. my favorite part of it was after they had uh, the ref arguing with the other member, it cuts back to Eddie Guerrero getting out, and it looks like him and the ref are getting out from underneath the ring. <laughs> 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 I guess Eddie was just, like, leaned up against it or whatever, yeah, but it yeah, looks mm-hmm. like they were just hanging out underneath the ring <laughs> for the whole duration. Maybe, like, I lost my chair. Let's look at That'd be it. funny. I thought that was a funny... Uh, <laughs> yeah, cut. It was a pretty good match. You know, when you're dealing with Eddie Guerrero, it's going to be a nice technical and or vicious striking match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Pepper was uh, was holding his own as well. I don't really care for Diamond Dallas Page, but I I did like that when he did a move, he really committed to it, and mm-hmm. then instead of taking a pause or doing whatever, like there's he immediately follows up with one or two other strikes or, uh, or a move that right afterneath and then pauses and then sets up for the next uh, set of things. And I really enjoyed that it makes everything he does look like a combo, and for whatever reason, it adds a lot of power to both moves. Mm-hmm. It it makes things look smoother, even if they're you know not technically smoother. But I'm like, oh, he he knocked him back and then like speared
1: him into the the turnbuckle, which did look pretty uh, vicious. Yeah. Or the uh, the missed a clothesline, whip right around and do another one spot too. Yeah, right. He just
0: follows up everything he does over and over again. He has a certain knack for that, I think.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: I was joking about it, but he is famous for meticulously playing out all his matches. Like, his matches are not called in the ring like some wrestlers do, where they have a general line, and they call the spots as they go through, and sort of ebb and flow is decided that way. So that would go to, the, to that point. Having everything connected does make sense if you've written it all out and have a planned deck detail. It's not like, oh, I'll just move, and then, I don't know, what something, something, and then we do this move. Yeah. You have everything already decided.
1: He knows what the combo's gonna be going yes. into it, yeah. Actually, Randy Savage is yes. much the same way. Hilariously, um, I think actually next year at uh, 97, isn't it? That mm. that we actually get a feud, not at Starrcade, no, yeah, but yeah. throughout 97, there's a feud between DDP and Randy Savage. That is true, yeah. Which I can only imagine was joyful for both of them because finally we're working with someone who gets it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I would really like the NWO stuff to stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, one show into the NWO era. <laughs> well, I think I think you both kind of set that up for me, though. <laughs> yeah.
2: It won't <laughs> end the next show, sorry.
0: Oh, man, yeah.
2: nice sounds going to be worse.
0: I mean, just like the um, interference with woman. I, I, I really just want to see the match. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's an element in everything. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, it can't be 30% of the match.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree.
0: I, I do like the scenario where, you know, someone hits you with a chair or whatever, but you still eke out a, a victory. I like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even then, that can get old hat. Sure. This is not going to be your favorite era, I
1: will tell you that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll make a game out of it. Yeah. Drink oh, a drinking game,
1: yeah. hopefully. <laughs> For me, this was really fascinating uh, like I said, we haven't seen DDP since Starcade 91. Mm-hmm. Five years later, he's a very different wrestler, much yeah. more developed as a performer. Mm-hmm. Back then he had the character, but not much in the way of moves. Now he's still got his character down pat, and he's added an impressive array of offense. Guerrero is as masterful as ever and does a good job of changing up his style for facing the very tall and lanky DDP and incorporating the height disadvantage into the match. He uses clever trips and DDP's own momentum against him very well. With DDP being so tall but so agile, I always love seeing, seeing him go end over end. As you get a really good sense of motion and, and impact there, he sells very well. Mm-hmm. I like that Guerrero legitimately could claim not to know DDP had been attacked for the finish. It keeps him a good face, even if he's accidentally accepting NWO help here. Absolutely. And I like that once he notices it, he kind of drops the belt like he's no longer comfortable with what just happened, like you said, Al, and like you said as well, John. I'd have preferred a clean finish to what had been a really good match up till then. But it does work from a storyline perspective. DDP had been invited to join the NWO, but turned them down, so they're all insulted about it. And I know where this is going for mm-hmm. DDP, and it's very big, so I'm not as hurt about this as I would be, I guess. Mm-hmm. I loved that you could tell the crowd so badly wanted DDP to be a good guy here. Yeah. They are very ready to cheer him. And indeed, at some points they do. And even Boo Guerrero at points. DDP has gotten over big time in the past, like, half a year. As for the post-match, like I said, I like Guerrero realizing what happened and looking conflicted. The NWO stealing the replacement title belt for the belt they've already stolen feels kind of weird, right?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Now, if... I didn't watch the follow-up Nitro, but if Giant comes out with both belts over his shoulders, (laughs) that would be good. That'd be worth it. Maybe.
0: I like their hair products.
2: (laughs) A lot of (laughs) volumizing, yeah. Yep. Uh, Eddie would go on to face a number of interesting and really strong challengers in the coming months as U.S. Champion, which includes Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko.
7: That would be good.
2: And as you sort of hinted at, D.E.P. segues into a face turn which comes very shortly after the show, I believe. And a basically year-long feud to some degree with the NWO different members and parts of that.
1: There's a really weird sudden fade to black. I wonder what was cut there.
2: I actually have an answer for that.
1: Yeah?
2: Or at least an inference I've been re-watching recently. During the beatdown part of it, Tony says that the NWO paid for airtime to promote their next show. NWO sold out. Oh, so my guess is they cut that's on the show, but some reason that's cut on the network. I have no idea why. So for once, they don't promote a show you'd rather, rather watch. And especially knowing what show it is, you definitely would not have rather watched You it.
1: would not rather watch that show. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we come back a moment later with the announcers discussing the theft of the new U.S. title. Heenan says, <laughs> I love this line. Heenan says the NWO could have 35 belts hidden in the trunk of an old car someplace, but it doesn't matter. Eddie Guerrero is still the U.S. champion.
6: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Once again, we go right to the next match. Our seventh match is The Giant versus Lex Luger. Referee for this match is Mark Curtis.
2: The Giant, as we mentioned, is beaten for his world title by Hogan, and then he needs to join the group, because I guess... I don't know. I guess they thought they were really good. The fact that they totally screwed Mavis Bell, I wouldn't give it back. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's really self-deprecating, maybe, as a person. He felt he deserved it. From what I've heard, the real reason is that they thought that someone was coming in from the WWF, that they'd gotten a new recruit, so they'd already built up that there was a new NWO member that would be happening, but then that fell through.
2: Yes. I believe
1: well, was supposed to be the British Bulldog. Yeah. yeah, it was supposed to be British Bulldog. So that fell through. So, uh, quick Let's think of something. Let's turn the giant, even though it makes no sense.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe he <laughs> disrespects strength, and since someone had beaten
1: him. I think the idea more is that they bribe him with lots of money. And- yeah. When you
2: see how the match plays out, it maybe do not feel that, that works, <laughs> the next explanation. <laughs>
1: yeah. I
2: will say I'm kind of disappointed that they turn giant, although obviously again, I got good material with him in the W.O., I kind of wanted the dark visual of the British Bulldog not wearing his red, white, and blue Rupertania gear. Seeing him in black and white would be really jarring. That would be interesting. Especially if you did like the flag cape, Ooh, but in black and white. That would have been sweet. It's kind of like Kurt Hennig, when you, when you eventually see him in the video, you're like, wait, you're not wearing like a bright orange singlet? You're wearing a yeah. boring black shirt and jeans?
0: Uh, like a monochrome Union Jack would look awesome.
2: Yeah, it would. Exactly. Have, yeah, yeah it would yeah. be. Missed <laughs> opportunity
0: there. I mean, even if they just, like, did different grades for the, you know, the blue and the red. Oh Yeah, awesome. you
2: want to use a grayscale, obviously. Anyways, the Giant joins NWO the in spite well, everything that happened to him. And, obviously, he's walking around with the U.S. title. Going into this show, he wins the World War Three match, which gets you a feature title shot. Which, at this point, is against Hogan. And maybe would not like that someone is trying to get a shot against Hogan's title. Because they certainly wouldn't allow that in a Starcade so that's put him on the outs with the group they don't necessarily like him but he's part of the group and he's obviously very tough so you don't want to like make him mad mm-hmm. on the flip side the sugar stock is rising due to hogan the perennial baby face being a bad guy now and sting having run off to hide in the rafters with vultures and makeup so he's basically coming up as the big face is going to say at the company he's taking on that role he's really leaning to do it he stopped being a sort of tweener character who is sometimes good, sometimes bad. The big story going into this is that I can't fully verify this, but the individual has not been beaten in a singles match or tag match since they formed.
1: I feel like that's actually probably right. It hasn't been that long since they formed. Granted, yeah,
2: yeah, it's July, but... I mean, I didn't didn't scour through every Nitro to check that or, you know, whatever. But it's it's true enough anyways. Mm -hmm. So he's going to be the one that's going to give them their first loss is the idea.
1: And is this the angle where he builds up to it by him demonstrating he can do the torture rack on all the big people? He that is, yes. Yeah. That is it indeed. Leading to the hilarious match with him versus the what's his name? Roadblock. 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 who's this re- really big, uh chunky guy <laughs> that uh Luger I believe it takes him like three or four tries, but he does get him in the torture rack, which does look legit awesome. When it when it finally works. Yeah. But he just keeps, like, trying to lift the guy and not quite working. And then it actually motions the crowd, like, okay, one more time. <laughs> yeah. He he, he leans into it. it was nice. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that about him. <laughs> I do see that he could
0: fill that void mm-hmm. of sting. And even in an odd way, Flair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he's got that big showboaty entrance or whatever. He's got a little bit of swagger to him. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the hair color.
2: I mean, he was already put in a place where he had to replace flair in the past,
1: so yeah, not surprising. Yeah, true. Like a fit flair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's muscle flair. Yes. <laughs> no carps flair. Solar fl-
0: <laughs> Solar flair would be an awesome name. Yeah, there you go. If yeah, he yeah. had a mask. Yeah. Which I'm his, pushing His for. hair can
1: be very shiny. Yeah, there you go. Argan oil. Giant's Entrance gives us our second NWO theme of the night. The Giant, who will later be the WWF's big show, he is about a year into his professional wrestling career here. Yeah. Oddly, he doesn't come out with a stolen U.S. title. Right? Yeah, that was a little little weird, but maybe they thought it'd be confusing with the previous match crowning a new U.S. champion whose belt was also stolen by the NWO, or maybe Six successfully argued backstage that he was now the NWO's official U.S. champ. Kind of seems like the Giant would win that particular argument, though, but honestly, it's probably due to events later in the night. I like Luger's theme in this. Actually. Yeah, it's really it's it's oddly catchy, isn't it? Well, there's a certain guitar part that reminds me of like Mega Man. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Normally I like the, the actual like vocal themes more in this era, but Luger's theme is a guilty pleasure, definitely. Tony says Luger has become the effective leader of WCW at this point, and Dusty builds up how much what's going on with his friend Sting has to be weighing on his mind. Heenan is now calling the Piper versus Hogan match the match of a lifetime. I'm not sure if that's an upgrade or a downgrade from match of the century. It depends what lifetime, I guess. If we're talking Methuselah, it's a heck of an upgrade. <laughs> I mean, Kirk Douglas is 102 right now, so it's a slight yeah, upgrade. It, it could be, yeah. yeah. Life expectancy is going up for now. Yeah. There you go. The fans chant for Luger. Giant forces Luger back into the corner, but Luger struggles and manages to force Giant all the way across the ring to the other corner before Giant finally shoves him down. Luger hits forearms and punches that he sells louder than the Giant, Mm -hmm. coming back every time Giant shoves him away. Finally, Giant lunges out with a monster clothesline that knocks him flat and an impressive high jumping elbow drop. Terrific shot of Giant giving a confident smile before booting Luger in the ribs to send him through the ropes to the floor. Luger crawls to the apron and Giant brings him back in with a nice stalling suplex and works Luger's back in between choking with a boot. Heenan notes that Giant's trying to make sure Luger can't lift him for the torture rack. How do you feel now, Lex? Giant bellows. Man, I'm going to tell you, he's loud, Dusty says. (laughs) Heenan asks if they smelled Giant's breath. Stomp to and Giant stands on his ribs. Of course, bad breath is better than none at all, Heenan jokes. <laughs> Luger tries to fight back, but can't lift Giant for a slam, and Giant falls on top. But gets off and hits a elbow drop, and headbutts Luger in the... gut.
7: <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs>
1: Luger dodges a charge, and Giant ends up propped on the top rope for Luger's strikes. Luger eats a Giant boot. Giant tries a drop kick, but Luger dodges, and Giant's foot catches the top rope to plant him on the mat. Luger lands strikes and clotheslines to get Giant wobbly, and a neckbreaker for two, but Giant presses him airborne, and Luger lands on ref Mark Curtis, knocking him out.
2: Yeah, nice frog splash when he landed the right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Sorry, right, jackknife splash.
1: Yes. Luger slams Giant and gets the torture rack, but Nick Patrick sneaks in... And kicks Luger in the back of the knee to break it up. What? Yep, that's what bends. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Heenan is now one hundred percent certain that Patrick is NWO. Do we have to admit it now, Al?
2: I think we we might. I,
1: I think it. we. All
2: evidence points against us.
1: Yeah, he's let us down. Disappointed. I'm 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 heartbroken.
2: Single tear. <laughs> just one.
1: Half a tear. <laughs> We see Sting coming through the crowd as Luger flings Patrick to the mat and Patrick slides all the way through the ropes into the floor. Luger gets the torture rack again, but Six runs in and kicks Luger in the face to knock him down. Six and Patrick help Giant up, and Six exits just before Sting arrives. Patrick applauds, but Sting uses his baseball bat to shove him away. The fans erupt in cheers as Patrick flees, but Sting drops the bat in the center of the ring and whispers to Luger and the Giant in turn, then leaves, leaving the bat behind. Luger crawls to the bat, but Giant steps on it. Luger punches Giant in the balls, jams the bat into Giant twice, and clubs him in the back of the knee with it. Luger shoves the bat out of the ring, takes a couple of tries, and pins the Giant as Curtis drags himself over for the three-count. The crowd counts along and cheers wildly for Luger's victory. Luger celebrates with elated fans, as Giant looks on in pain and disbelief. Giant's expression turns angry as the announcers ask where the Outsiders and Hogan were for the Giant. Great bit of acting there by the Giant, I thought. Very subtle changes in expression that really drove home that the target of his anchor is not Luger. Thoughts on this one?
2: So it was an interesting one, because I was talking before about how the match with the Face of Fear and the Outsiders was a mix of like, old-school mentality and new-school mentality. This one feels very old school. Mm-hmm. It feels like this is a pretty basic Bobby, well executed Hogan versus Giant Guy match.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Like Luger is Hogan, he'd be, you know, forcing his way up and then knocked down. You have Andre's walk well across the back spot. Obviously, Andre's not doing the dropkick attempts or splashes the corner like that. So there's some differences. Understandably, this is like said, this is a little over a year into Giants' career. It's like October 95 is like his first official match. So it's understandable that you have someone like sluger has been wrestling since, like what, the mid-80s? Mm-hmm. Understandably, he calls the match and sort of structures it together, probably with help of someone like Arn or someone on the back. It works, I think. Obviously, the fans are really into the match, but there's definitely a lot of... The bad side of old school wrestling, the fact that they have to walk across the ring really slowly as a their strength, mm-hmm. they don't do the knuckle lock thing, do they? They did not do
1: the knuckle lock. That's but. the only
2: thing they missed. Yeah. Otherwise, that's 100% classic Hogan match, just the leg drop, obviously. It's nice to see the little things that Giant can do, like the dropkick attempt, even if he's awkward with the end of it because he knows he's going to miss it. Both legs should be up. There were only one really up. Yeah. I, I understand that but his splash is really nice. And it's like I said, his character moments do sort of ease through the match. Mm-hmm. And when you see him walking out, I think he was trying to look like he hasn't slept in like three or four days because he has really deep rings in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Like he's been in thought and everything. But once the match goes his way, he's suddenly much happier. He feels like he's got this in the bag. The sting stuff's interesting. I mentioned before how there's three moments where they got the camera in the wrong spot, this being the third one. is you can't see Sting pointing the bat at Nick Patrick with the first angle they use. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to blame them for using the hard camera angle and Sting maybe should have been the other way, but the big moment of him pointing the bat is just, it's really muted. They catch it
1: afterwards.
2: In the crowd, you would see it. At the arena, you would see it, but yeah, you see him pointing his arm out and Nick Patrick, I like I see a ghost and I don't know what's going on. They, once they turn, they're like, oh, he got the bat at him. Okay. It's a shame the one like that is kind of ruined a little bit. hmm um, obviously, Luger's song is great, so can yes. ever be mad at that. Giant, super loud voice is a nice accent to that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, accepted at this point, watching previous NBO matches and knowing the story of this show, that there's going to be interference. Not a happy exception, just, yeah, it's going to happen.
1: At least it's Sting. <laughs> at least it's Sting, yeah. yeah. Although there's Patrick and Six first, but yeah.
2: yeah. By the way, too, the old school mentality as well. Like, Nick Patrick sneaking up the stairs like he's the whiplash. <laughs> yes!
1: That was hilarious. What? I missed that. Yeah. He's literally like hiding behind the, the ring post. He, he's like an old school silent movie villain
2: that's sneaking up. He's going to tie the woman to the train tracks. And he's hiding behind the ring post. And while Lex looks straight at him, and some Lex doesn't see him. Yeah. What's the magic mindset? I've been disguising myself as being a hero free for the interview for months at this point. So I think Boma is going to be a really weak kick to the back of his leg while he's not yeah. looking. He did not, did not follow through with that very well. kind of a shame shame if he really truly was evil all this time that he didn't do a very good job of the actual payoff
0: at least he did it overtly even even though it didn't look powerful like it wasn't like oh yeah he wasn't like he nudged you or you know just like slowly stepped on him and leaned into him Mm -hmm.
2: it was a fun match but it's definitely it takes a lot to get going because that's our old school mentality it's a bit plotting in the beginning but it, it pays off
0: I didn't pick up on the the classical strong guy versus Hogan or whatever. I don't really have that big of a okay. repertoire to to make that thing. Sure, That's but cool. it did feel very comical, especially with the windmill punch from Luger, <laughs> where he's like rewind, the super wind up. I know that they were trying to hit all those spots, like you know, I think it was like the third attempt or whatever gave him, got him on the rack.
2: It's usually how it is, guys. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the rule three, great performers. Luger, you know, obviously doing a lo- little bit more than uh, Big Show or sorry Giant. That's okay. You can tell that he hasn't really come into his own yet, but at the same time, puts pretty good effort in what he can do. Mm-hmm. Everything he does is going to look a little bit powerful, and it's really comical uh, to see, even as tall as Luger is, trying to pull off these moves. <laughs> Instead of like putting your arm around someone in the back, he's like has to re- like reach up and go around the back yeah. of his neck <laughs> yeah. to do it. You know, I was happy that Sting showed up, and that that was the only thing that made the
1: interference okay for me. Okay. Yeah, there's interference, but then the match still ends not quite clean, but, you know... He also misses the ref, too,
0: which I thought was nice. Yeah. And the fact that he whispered to both of them kind of makes me think, oh, is he, like covert agent or is there something else going on you know exactly. mm-hmm.
1: so they're going for it yeah it's very mysterious
0: yes and I, I i i if there's intrigue if there's something unique about it i'm not so opposed to it
1: okay
0: literally he just leaves the bat in the middle so he's not like he's on anyone's side he's just right. an agent of chaos which is great okay i'm cool with that It was a decent match but it's not my favorite
1: sure Yeah, there's not a ton of variety to this match, and it gets somewhat repetitive, but I still really enjoyed it. There's two big guys here just trading off, hitting big strikes and big moves to each other. It's genuinely awesome to see Luger manage to get the Giant up for the torture rack, not once, but twice. And Giant's agility is really surprising. Yeah. And like you mentioned, the crowd is super into this. Yeah. Luger is so hot right now. And aside from two guys in the front row who were clearly fans of the Giant, Mm -hmm. the crowd kept chanting for Luger. If you're one year into your professional wrestling career, you should be super proud of this match. Yeah, I can see that. This is very, very good for someone that early in in his run. It's a good match, period. Yeah. As far as the ending, like you, John, I like the sense of intrigue about Sting's involvement and the lingering uncertainty about his motivations. What I don't like is that the hero, Luger, actually does have to stoop to cheating to win. That's how you turn them. I get that he had Giant legitimately beat twice and only didn't win then because of the NWO, but I just feel like for WCW to be the good guys here, they should definitely be the more ethical. Mm. I don't know. Still, it's a fun big man match that used the characters well, and it left things in an intriguing place, story-wise.
2: I realized what Sting... Bit reminds me of. There's a scene in The Dark Knight with the Joker. He's taken over the gang, right? And he breaks the pull cue over his knee and says, "I'm only taking two of you." And throws and drops it between all of them and leaves.
1: Right, right, That's right. What Sting's doing? There you go. Yeah.
2: To your point about good and bad. I mean, yeah. Sting is a Joker, and well they're both bad guys, really, <laughs> in that <laughs> scenario. But yeah. yeah, there's no good guy in this scenario, I guess.
1: Yeah. like like, prove yourself to me and then like leaves the (laughs) yeah 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 i do think it's an interesting part and i do like how again it reflects on the sting and luger storyline that you think at first oh he's coming down to help luger because he's his friend but he's still ticked at luger most likely for the uh insults and getting in his face and everything during the war games bit yeah so he's he's not just there to help luger he's just there to you know give him a chance. Yeah. But then he's going to walk off and see what happens. So it's, it's a really interesting moment. I just I don't know. A little part of me is like I kind of wish that it would have been like giant gets the bat but Luger wins anyway or something like that.
2: No, I can absolutely see that. In fact, well, the fact that he has to resort to
0: punching with the balls.
2: Then he's <laughs> in the bat yeah. is also there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can see that. As
1: amusing as that was. Oh, yeah. It's like bicepting him in the ball. <laughs> he yes. Yeah. His, like around behind him. Oh, yeah. Our final match is Rowdy Roddy Piper versus WCW World Heavyweight Champion Hollywood Hulk Hogan with Miss Elizabeth, Vincent, and Ted DiBiase. The referee for this match is Randy Anderson.
2: So at the end of uh, Halloween Havoc, Ray Piper shows up and cuts a promo challenging Hogan to a match. Hogan, of course, doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want to fight Piper initially, but then he seems to turn after being, basically being threatened enough issues a wrinkle in, in that there's been some sort of delay in the match, which turns out to be the reveal of Eric Bischoff becoming part of the NBO, which really he's not even on the show at all, which is weird that it's a big part of the build up to the main event. And he's not even featured once, not even a backstage promo.
1: He keeps saying like, oh, we're working with Piper's agent to try and get approval. And but it turns out that he's just not actually been. Yes. Been uh, talking to him. He'd been
2: trying to stall the match. because it won't yeah. Happen. Yeah. Yeah, as, as mentioned the promo, Piper says he's been one man Hogan hasn't beaten, which you already covered, and there's also more people we also make that list, but they'll show up later.
1: Yeah. Ring announcer Michael Buffer introduces this as a match between two living legends, and says people are calling this the match of the decade, but it might actually be the match of the century. I don't get why they don't just call it match of the century right out. There's no need for the decade stuff if you're just going to upgrade it. It's, it's weird. Oddly, Hogan comes out first, despite being world champ. Normally, champion enters second. True. Yeah, and then with that, but yeah, you're right. He plays air guitar with the title belt and points out NWO signs in the crowd. The announcers decry the disrespect of the big gold belt. Piper is out second and gets extremely long pyro.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: I comes to fight, baby, Dusty yells. <laughs> <laughs> Chance for Piper as Hogan tries to quiet the crowd. Hogan kisses the big gold belt and hands it to Vincent, and Vincent and Miss Elizabeth exit while DiBiase stays at ringside. Hogan chats outside with DiBiase and makes Ref Randy Anderson keep Piper back so he can get in. Hogan pushes Piper in the corner and tells Ref Randy Anderson to watch Piper on the break as he doesn't trust him, then slaps Piper. Okay, that was kind of funny.
2: Yeah, I'll give him that one.
1: Piper charges but gets slapped again, but blocks a third try and lands several punches to send Hogan spilling out. Hogan back in, and he rakes the eyes, then takes over with striking turnbuckle slams and chest rakes, because those were needed. Mm-hmm. Piper pokes him in the eyes and clotheslines him down to send Hogan out again for some more fun stalling.
2: If you want to enjoy the stalling, you can just hear the Jeopardy theme in your yes. head. <laughs> it really makes it go much faster.
1: Piper holds on to a side headlock as Hogan keeps trying to push him off, even through a backdrop. But Hogan takes back over and whips Piper's neck across the ropes to send him to the floor. Hogan beats Piper up outside and uses a back rake. <sighs> but Piper hits a kinda sorta enziguri and gets his kilt's belt to whip and choke Hogan. Tony says that Anderson knows what this match means to these men in this sport, so he won't DQ them. It would mean a lot to me if he had, frankly.
2: I know it was a lot later, but I think even at this point, Hogan has, done, has been doing the, whipping the, with his own weight belt as well, so there shouldn't be a surprise
0: that the belts are in there. Yeah. The first time that uh, Piper actually belts
1: Hogan. It looks like he's a clown. <laughs> the jump he does, or whatever. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Piper slams Hogan, but DiBiase grabs his foot, and Piper goes after him. So Hogan hits him from behind and uses the steps and barricades on him. Back in, Hogan works on Piper's replaced hip. Never thought I'd say that line. <laughs> DiBiase grabs Piper's leg, but Piper takes Hogan down too, and lands punches and hair pulls. As Heenan jokes that it shouldn't take long to pull out all Hogan's hair. <laughs>
2: Careful if you say that too many times, they'll quit the company and sue you.
1: <laughs> Piper cradles Hogan for two. Oh, They trade punches. <laughs>
2: <laughs> how that sounded. Oh, come on. Look at how that sounded. That sounded so sweet. Okay. Hey, give me that one.
1: Yeah. They trade punches and eye pokes, and Piper suplexes Hogan for two. I think DiBiase pulled Hogan's leg to free him, but the camera doesn't catch it. Shocking. Hogan dodges a knee drop, and Piper's leg is hurt. Hogan tries the big leg drop, but Piper dodges and hops around on one foot to prove that he was actually playing possum, then knocks Hogan down with kicks as the Giant comes in. Anderson checks on Hogan as Giant grabs Piper, and Hogan stumbles around so that there's really no way that Anderson didn't see Giant. (laughs) Giant lifts Piper by the throat, and a crazed fan chooses that moment to charge the ring, Anderson and Hogan hold him back, and the fan is dragged out by security as Giant keeps Piper up in the air, waiting for the planned spot. Hogan comes over to join Giant, but Piper kicks Hogan down and bites Giant to free himself. Piper shoves Giant out over the ropes and gets the sleeper hold on Hogan. Anderson checks the arm. It goes down once, twice, three times. Three times, lady. There's no sudden finger wiggling this time, and Piper wins the match. Fireworks go off as the announcers are elated. Piper poses standing on Hogan with one foot, and the Outsiders come down, but Piper fights them off and escapes the ring. The Giant waits on the ramp, but avoids Piper, glaring back towards the fallen Hogan and the Outsiders. Giant just lets Piper leave, and Piper poses with one of his kids at the entrance, then leaves. Quite a bit more to the aftermath here, but before we get to that, let's talk about the match.
2: What do you think, John? I'm kind of curious of your thoughts before I talk.
0: Well it is a classic match as well like if we're going to use those terms. Mhm. Okay. I I'm still not used to Hollywood what what Hollywood is. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, that's not I
0: I know that he's only been a heel for a certain period of time, but kind of makes me sad to see them fight if that makes sense. <laughs> mhm. I'm not saying there's there's less fire or whatever, but it it's just I have matches in my head that are like built for these two, and, and this is not one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as you probably already have guessed, Piper's still the highlight of the match for me.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. It's fine. Yeah.
0: I, I think that his storyline or his role in this, he's like, I'm here. I'm going to deal with whatever. I, I actually did like when he puts the ref on the on the airbag. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, you know, he's like, just you just get out of the way. We're good. This match will go through. Don't worry. That one of the times Hogan goes out of the ring, Piper starts to go to follow him, but Anderson gets in his way, and Piper yes. just takes him and sets him on the turnbuckle. It's pretty funny, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there is a little
0: bit of character to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he is definitely playing the, the character was like, you know what, you can throw whatever you want at me, or, you know, have people come come at me, and I'm still gonna battle my way through. And I like that. Yeah. Sure.
1: Other than that, not the best showing from either person. So I got to ask the question, you know, I got to ask the question, this match or Piper versus Valentine? Rope. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Any day. Yeah. It's, it's so weird, isn't it? For us going through this way that we saw Piper at 83. He's not that old. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to slide. Yeah. Yeah, at, at Starrcade 83, we saw Piper versus Valentine, and now, what is this, 13 years later, yeah, we see him versus Hogan. It's just like, I mean, it's it's obvious that there's going to be differences, but oh, it's still yeah. like, it's a really shocking change, isn't it? Yeah. When you just go between those two matches alone.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I do like the story part, where he's the
0: undefeated, mm-hmm. giving no, yeah. Hogan another chance as these icons. I don't know why they... I keep on picturing, like, a window screen with things they click on. <laughs> like, these icons um, or legends or whatever. I see it as another chance to reclaim a part of glory or something. So, Piper's being enticing and saying, Hey, you know what? For you, Hogan, let- let's settle this for sure. You know, settle it once and for all. You haven't defeated me before. Can you defeat me now? And I like that.
2: No, yeah, I, I can understand that. I-, I will say, when I first watched The Math with Bob... I know of a I had actually not watched the match before. So I was expecting to be really bad and slow and just a lot of punching and stalling and more stalling and this generic, uninteresting eighties wrestling stuff carried over because it's Hogan and Piper rewatching it. It's definitely still, that's definitely still there. It's not like they don't stall less than I remembered. And definitely like there's still back rakes and it's a lot of punching and kicking. That's not super interesting. But um, re-watching it, seeing what the crowd's into it, it helps. It's like watching bad movies um, with another audience, especially if they're into it, which is mm-hmm. weird. You're like, okay, fine. They're getting enjoyment. I can at least... And you try to be nicer towards it. You try to find things. I was definitely expecting to come into this super hating of it and be really mean, but I do like Piper a lot. Honestly, my feelings at Hogan are pretty clear by now. So that's no mystery, but Yeah, it's definitely not a good match, and definitely on the show with Liger and Mysterio, DDP and Eddie Guerrero, Malenko and Dragon, it feels out of place. Which is funny because the one other famous uh, Piper match that feels really out of place is from Kindering 94, Mm -hmm. which they've begun the new generation era, here's the new stars, there's a young, fresh uh, different wrestler's even if Bret Hart's not actually new, but whatever, let's go with it. That show, inspired of the new generation tag, is headlined by Jerry Lawler and Roddy Piper.
0: I don't think I've seen a lot of Lawler fighting.
2: Yeah. Hogan has definitely has more interesting character, even an early version of Hollywood Hogan, I think, for me, than Lawler. So this probably gets in maybe a little edge, but no one will really win in this scenario. I, it's funny, the interference should not be happening. Obviously, people should be running everything like that but it almost makes it more entertaining because Giant to hold him for so long. Poor guy. <laughs> and the payoff is Piper sort of awkwardly shoving Hogan with his, with two feet yeah. and then biting Giant, which we don't see because of the, the camera angles put. Yep. So moment number five, apparently, whatever we're up to. Or 12, who knows. So it makes it funnier to me because they stall the spot so long because the guy runs in. The weird way he makes it better.
1: <laughs> I do appreciate, Giant, you can tell... At least is clearly supporting Piper on his back as well, not just holding him by the throat the entire time. Oh yeah. He has a he has his arm underneath his leg. So. Still that had that had to be
0: terrible. Yes. I was hoping it was the fan from the other side that him around Yeah. <laughs> the, the creature.
2: <laughs> but yeah, it's not a good match. I'm not gonna ever say that, but it's a match that I didn't enjoy, but clearly people a lot of people watching did, so yeah. they got for it. worth.
1: Yeah, this was pretty bad. <laughs> what <laughs> oh no, mm-hmm. yeah it's nowhere near hogan versus butcher bad mind but that's true. still pretty bad the main difference here is that both guys have character like you guys were saying mm-hmm. so rather than just one having character like that match both are capable of doing the character moments and both are capable of selling so this has at least the very basics of a wrestling match right but that's about it yeah They do so very little. (laughs) There's just a bunch of very basic striking, and I remain mystified by chest and back rakes. It's like, once again, again, guys, you have muscles. Try using them. Lots of stalling here, and this is so much longer than it has any right to be. It's about 15 and a half minutes. Cut it in half or maybe to a third, and I think the two probably have enough personality alone to carry it. But as it is, it just drags on it became clearer and clearer that the basics really were all that they had to work with yeah there's a standard suplex that's treated as this massive spot here yeah the sort of move that we see pulled off time and again in earlier matches is built up like oh my gosh you should be really impressed can't believe he suplexed hogan
2: yeah the high spots yeah definitely yeah Yeah. and suplexing hogan and bisoning hogan yeah you're like oh okay that's like what you learn in the first week of wrestling
1: school yeah Add in the completely inexplicable lack of DQs for blatant and repeated rule-breaking by both competitors, and it's difficult to find any entertainment value in this for me. The most interesting spot is the bit where the fan charges the ring and gets his butt kicked, and that just shouldn't be the case. (laughs) It's a really flat final match, especially after some really good matches earlier on, like you were saying. The build makes it sound like this should be epic, but it very much is not.
2: The show is so strong, and then this match happened. I think it's makes it worse.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that they hyped it the right way, though. We've seen so many like promos and and things that have nothing to do with the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They each got their own rambling, and <laughs> it, they got to do that. Yep. And the final product is exactly what you expect after those first two promos. But at least they put it in the pr- show in an order that makes sense
1: (laughs) and that's saying something (laughs) after the match hogan wakes up and he the outsiders and dibiase go to confront the giant the giant shoves hogan and yells at him that giant watches his back but where was hogan when giant needed him giant backs up hogan and the outsiders but they didn't take care of him hogan says giant dropped the ball and giant is incredulous Giant bellows, where were you three? The crowd chants for Giant. Hogan again tells Giant he dropped the ball, and Giant sullenly glares at him, then stalks off through the entryway as Hogan and the Outsiders march back to the ring, Hogan still blaming Giant for his loss. That is a bit intriguing and leaves Giant in a really interesting place.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, this leads to... Giant kicked out of the group because he wants a title shot and they blame him for everything that went wrong here. So it becomes a face leading up to a less than, uh, impressive match at Sold Out.
6: Yeah.
1: You know, good in one way, bad in another, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting angle, though. Yeah, sure. Hogan tells Vincent to get out there with his title belt. Tony asks, Hogan still has the belt? Hogan says, he's still the champion. And Tony says, well, he might be the champion, but he's not the winner. From the sound of Tony's voice, I think he just realized what Hogan then confirms. This match was actually non-title. What? Shyamalan twist. Hogan spits on the camera lens, and Heenan sarcastically calls him a classy man. Hogan celebrates his non-win with his belt. So, okay, question for you guys. Was there any indication going into this match for either of you that this was non-title?
0: Nope.
2: So I already knew that, obviously, but I was going looking for, for that, see, any
1: giveaway, and there's really not much, no. Mm-hmm. Everything about it feels like it's going to be a title match. I believe that Buffer doesn't say it during the intro, and that may, that's the only sign, really, that you get, I think, going into it, that... Oh, it's not actually a title match. Piper talks about beating him,
2: but he doesn't talk about taking the He
1: never the- mentions the belt, but he doesn't...
2: It's implicit. I mean, yeah. you're beating the guy who's the champion, but yeah, that's not. Right, yeah. Well, he also, if you caught it too, as Piper is leaving, Dusty goes, there goes the world champion. Right, yeah. And then someone like po- yeah. pokes him clearly. And he's like, or, or, or is he? he like that covers, that's like, a quick thing.
1: I, I'm not sure that the announcers are clued in no. on, on that at all. So Clearly like Bischoff's in the headset like, Shut up, dude, don't say it.
0: <laughs> well, like even Hogan kissing the
1: belt, you know, it's like he's putting it on the line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that cool. was what Bret Hart would always do before his matches for the title was he'd yeah. give the belt a kiss and hand it away and it's like that, you know, this might be my last time with the title. That's the message there. Yeah. Hogan does that here, but yeah. it's not even on the line. Yeah, this was really, really dumb for me. For the entire show, this is built up like this is a mega match. Piper striking back against Hogan, who's been running roughshod over WCW for months. The announcers cheer Piper on, giving every indication that his victory over Hogan's going to be meaningful and important. The match of the decade, the century, a lifetime, whichever of those is higher. They give Piper fireworks for his win. The crowd pops huge, but it's non-title. Why is it non-title? There's no real indication here. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Piper just didn't care about the title, but in that case, why does WCW, which really wants its belt back, care that much about this challenge? Or maybe we're supposed to gather that Bischoff drew up the match contract and Piper didn't read the fine print. Either way, it's such a terrible end to this show, isn't it? So Piper doesn't like
2: get upset and try to give the belt and they tell him he can't have it. He's 100% aware that not for the belt, apparently.
1: Yeah, either that or he assumes he'll be given it when he goes backstage. He's like, I'll do one match,
0: and he doesn't want to fight again. Maybe he just doesn't have it in him.
1: Except that actually he does uh, another match next year early on. <laughs> okay.
0: But, <laughs> but you yeah. know, I I'm, mean, I'm like, this this agreement might have been like, yeah, if I win the belt, now I gotta go through, like, three months of, of whatever, and I don't want to do that.
1: Yeah, true. It's just, I mean, to me, this felt like such a bad way to end the show. The face's victory over the heel is rendered almost entirely meaningless. And not even in a Stark 885 kind of way where, mm-hmm. you know, Piper would get to celebrate on the show, but then it's overturned later. No, Hogan shows us that he's still champion right now. So we don't even get to be happy for a little bit. Yeah. Utterly ridiculous ending. Comes across as, like,
0: whiny, too.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Two things on that. First, if you go back to the Dark 883 episode... Which Piper apparently beats Craig Valentine, but it's also not for his U.S. title. That's true, yeah. I jokingly say, well, at least that'll never happen again. <laughs> yep. So I was committed all the way back and how long ago we recorded that, so. By all means re-download that, because we need the numbers. <laughs> Second, I can think of one way this works, although it's still in- bad, like with the whole Benoit thing. Like the best way you could do a bad idea. Have the match as bad as it goes. Have it play out the same way because you can't really fix that. With who's there, and have Piper celebrating, grab the belt, and walk you know walk to the back, really happy, like holding with his son and whoever that guy walking with the son is. By the way, is that never answered? Yeah,
0: I wasn't sure on that.
2: You notice that too, John? The
0: guy who walks out with Piper's son. Uh, I don't know if there's a a guy that walks out with him. Like I know yeah. there's another person. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't that know guy. That the is. guy with the, with the big
2: leather fanny pack. Who's yeah. not, not identified, just walking out with Piper's kid and then walking Bodyguard. out. Bodyguard. Yeah. I, <laughs> I guess. It's weird they don't say that. So, have him walk, but have him with the title and celebrating. I know you hate this part. You have to play the theme again.
7: Yeah. For, okay, for, effect,
2: for effect, Eric Bischoff comes out, cuts him off, and then tells him that he didn't read the fine print, it's not for the title,
1: right? It- and Vincent takes the belt and walks back to If you'd at least explained why yes. on this show, yeah. It may have been kind of acceptable. That's my point. Just make a story
0: of it, not just. I just Hogan going where's my belt? Vincent? Even better. Yeah. Piper takes the belt, and they start to interview him in front of that locker, and then the locker bursts open, and a hand comes out and grabs <laughs> it. And it's either Sting in the locker, or
1: like the giant. I think either one <laughs> would be. I crammed himself in the locker. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. You
2: suddenly see there's like an indent at the top of his head. Oh, yeah.
1: That that would turn this from one of the worst Starcade endings to one of the best Starcade endings. Yeah, I I think it's just, it's so annoying. It's win or lose. The NWO still gets to celebrate in the ring to close the show. And Piper's nowhere to be seen after making his really quick exit. Yeah. So it's pretty sad. I mean, at least he's hugging his kid. Yeah. It's sweet, but then... Yeah, you get that image, but then it goes away. It should have faded right then. Yeah.
0: Yes
2: uh skipping past sold out thankfully um we would get a return match yay of uh, piper and hogan this time with the title definitely on the line although weirdly reading the recap for it uh hogan goads piper into the match not the way around
1: yeah I guess he did technically lose here, so he wants to.
2: Yeah, but it's weird that he's like goading Piper into accepting a match to try and win his title from him.
1: Yeah, that is a little odd. But I'll,
2: I don't know, I'll watch maybe play that maybe because that more sense. But that just in text is really weird. He's like he makes the match happen.
1: Tony wraps up the show as Hogan and the Outsiders celebrate, and Starcade '96 is done. So, overall thoughts on Starcade '96. It's a show with really good wrestling on it. If you're going purely for the
2: sport and spectacle, I'd definitely recommend it. But the conditions to it would be, it's really more the first half, you get all of that. The second half, where WCW deems is generally more important, for whatever reason, suddenly the NBO was all over it. There's, you know, no interference. And It'd be interference in the first like three or four matches. Then suddenly, every match has all of them hanging around the ringside to the point where they basically just just had patio seats and just sat there <laughs> waiting all the time. Rather than making the entrance, it's like we know you're coming out. Just just hang around. You're good. It's like tailgating. Just hang out the, at the entryway. We know you're really coming out to interfere the matches. And obviously, there's a big drop off in just pure wrestling quality from the first seven matches to match number eight. That said, if you're the mindset of clearly the people watching this show live, mm-hmm. and you're in the nostalgic feel of it, it's totally disappointing, but if you know coming in it's Piper and Hogan fighting at this point in their careers, set your expectations to the right level and think you can at least enjoy it. I still don't recommend it compared to Dragon and Malenko and all the other matches, but it's not like a complete train wreck that ruins the show, it's just really disappointing into a show with really strong action up until that point.
1: Hmm. It's interesting that it's kind of like the opposite of what we said on some of those earliest arcades where it's like, oh, this was kind of dull, but then like the last four matches hit, and like, oh, wow, it was so amazing. Here's Steamboat, here's Flair, yeah. Yeah, where now it's, oh, the first the first seven matches are great to pretty good, and this final match is like, Ugh. <laughs> Yeah. But it doesn't kill the show, but it's just like,
0: yeah. I mean, you still have headliners, a headliner for each of the last half of the thing it's just they were dead matches i
6: mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. think i mentioned for the last show it's kind of interesting looking at a trend when you see these shows year are dear like we do so 94 starcade made in by hogan and butcher 95 starcade no hogan no butcher
6: mm-hmm.
2: 95 starcade headlined by Randy savage rick flair Ninety-six star starcade no savage no flair
1: that's true yeah that's interesting it's a weird occurrence of a people like that yeah that's that's interesting the bar was definitely raised
0: in the in the very beginning. It notched up and up and up and up and up. And unfortunately, I don't think anything else after that passed it. Mm-hmm. There was always either a comical or some sort of annoyance associated with each of the matches that followed. Mm-hmm. You know, like Al said, if you set your expectations the right level, you could really enjoy that last match. Those are people that you could have associated, you know, wrestling with like as like, distill it down. These are the people I want to watch and enjoy that. Hey, they're still in the ring. That mm-hmm. in itself has some value. Big change from 83 <laughs> to to 96 Yeah, for Piper. And, and and for me, that is a little bit of a, I'm a little crestfallen. After all that, he still didn't even get get a belt out of it. Yeah. yeah. And that to me kind of sums up my impression of the whole show where it had great potential. There are some great things in it. But I think at the very end of the the day, it fell short for me. Mm -hmm. It was not what it promised. And
1: for that, I'm a little annoyed. (laughs) It feels so weird because you, like you said, you start out feeling really strong about it, and then at the end, it annoys you. So this is an interesting question. If the Hogan versus Piper match was the second-to-last match, and, I don't know, say, Luger versus the Giant was the last match, do you think your your mood would be better?
0: Um, my, my, my mind right now is actually trying to, like, figure out this pro- how the storyline changes. <laughs> give, give me a second. <laughs> um, Honestly, slightly better?
1: Yeah, I was just thinking, at least, because then it ends with still interference, but it's an interference that actually, like, gets resolved. And it's a definitive ending to the match, where the Hogan one is kind of a weird mush of what actually happened. Mm-hmm. I just don't like
0: the the ending tacked on, just like when yeah. Vader just shows up in the park in in the parking lot <laughs> in the locker room and just goes off. Yeah, yes, it creates drama, but I think it creates the wrong drama. Mm-hmm. It needs to be about Starcade and not what's to come.
1: I okay. think they need to have some sort of finality about that. You want this to be the ending point and then whatever you can start up on the next show.
0: Yeah. The, the whole midpoint of the show or, the, you know, throughout the whole show, you can build up what's going to come later and everything. And you can give some some final points at the end about everything that's unresolved. But that needs to be narration. That can't be coming from the the stars themselves. I think that commentary can, you know, put a nice ribbon on that. On that. And uh, having people whining or not even giving people credit at the end, uh, I think diminishes the whole process.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, cause that's, a, that's a good point, yeah.
0: Like, I honestly, coming from this, I actually, my, my mental image of Hogan is damaged. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, I
1: this doesn't jive with anything else I've seen. And it's not damaged in the good way where it's like, The storyline is, he's a bad guy, so I should dislike him. It's damaged in a, wait, why the heck did that happen? Yeah. Right. It's
0: disingenuous to who he was through as a character and as a superstar leading up to this point. I mean, I I know that he's being a sore loser and everything, but the fact that they give him lots of screen time while being that, acting Mm -hmm. that way, bothers me. They, yeah. could have, they could have rolled credits and, and, and still said, okay, fine, they're upsetting everything. That's you see
2: that for Nitro. He can come out and go say he won. or think, think he still does that promo anyways.
1: It's a slightly bitter taste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So about 80% of this show is quite good, I think. Seems fair, yeah. It's eight matches. The first seven are, at worst, acceptably fun, and at best, really great. Not every match is an absolute standout, but I had fun with all of the first seven, and aside from some weird endings from time to time, I thought they worked really well. The promos were hit or miss, and the Sting video package was strange but intriguing. (laughs) Even the match endings that were strange or non-finishes at least tended to leave their stories in an interesting place. Yeah. Unfortunately, the last match happened, (laughs) (laughs) and that put a damper on the show. The main event here is just bad, and while it isn't as bad as Hogan vs. Butcher, it stands out a lot more, because otherwise this show had been a lot better than Starcade 94. Yes. It feels so strange. The show's just rolling along fine, and then suddenly just tanks. I couldn't help thinking about the great matches I'd seen earlier in the night, and this just did not measure up. It didn't even get close. On 94, the bad main event was just the culmination of an overall poor night. On 96, it's like... I don't know. You got a really great ice cream, but mixed in with all your favorite toppings was a dried up dog turd. Just plop right there in the middle. <laughs> Main attraction. Hmm. There are a few other missteps here and there. The announcing was variable tonight. I think it's strongest when it's the three-man team of Tony, Dusty, and Heenan. When they add a fourth announcer in the first three matches, it's just too many guys out there. Yeah. Tane does a good job. Don't get me wrong but you don't get as good a back-and-forth feel of discussion with four guys. It just doesn't feel as graceful. The announcers do a good job of highlighting the storylines in the later matches, though. They feel invested in the NWO storyline overall, and they do an especially great job highlighting the angles involving Sting, Nick Patrick, and the Giant. I think they make it to a good performance overall, but it's a little touch-and-go at times. One other fun thing. There was a ton of pyro used for this show, Mm -hmm. which got a really good reaction out of the announcers every single time. They were loving it. It was pretty funny. I like pyro for entrances. Probably not great for the company budget, but Mm -hmm. it does add a lot of oomph, and it contributes to a larger-than-life feel, which I think is important for these shows. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I like it a little bit less when it's used to emphasize a non-title win in a match that should have been a title match, but whatever. (laughs)
2: It's like the Summerslam did with Lex Luger.
1: Yes. That's what I was
2: trying to think yeah. of. Lex Luger beats uh who is the WF champion. They he knocks him out and he falls out of the ring and went to be a count out. So it doesn't win the title. And they but they drop like um fatty, yep. and he's like celebrating the whole locker room like People yeah come, he won.
1: Yeah. But it's like this means nothing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Pretty
6: much.
1: This is cool yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, this was actually a really good show that was easy to watch and the company is in a very interesting place with this company-wide NWO angle being such a large focal point, major stars like Sting and Hogan becoming vastly different characters, and performers like Rey Mysterio Jr., The Giant, and DDP clearly on the rise. Despite the bad ending to the show, WCW feels like it's ascendant, with tons of potential in both veteran performers and new faces. An enjoyable show, just... Stop it before the last match if you want to leave it totally happy. Seems fair, yeah. Yeah. I still
0: haven't decided on one of my guests, but I, I, I'm, I'm, more, I'm th- working
1: through it in my head. Okay. I know what my favorite match is. All right. Well, you want to let Al start and yeah, go go ahead. figure it well, out? Okay.
2: Okay. So, a lot of strong contenders for matches tonight. It was actually like unlike ninety-four start Kate, It was hard because there's so many good options. Ultimately, it came down for me. There's a bunch of matches that I really liked, but with the endings the way they were, they didn't quite it's not a complete package. So the Benoit Jarrett match is good as it is. The way it ends it disappoints me. Same with the DDP Aguero match. It's really good, but then the way it plays out, I'm not super happy with it. For me, it comes down to the first match, which is Blanco and Dragon, or the third match. Mm. Got it figured. Yeah, yeah. So, it's a really tough call. I have gone back and forth on that a couple times before writing down my answer, but I think I'm going to stick with what I wrote, which is my match Knight is Jushin Thunder Liger versus Rey Mysterio Jr. I thought it all worked really well. Rey Mysterio comes on the screen, in a, for us anyways, in the first time in a huge way, doing moves no one's ever seen before or doing versions of moves that are bigger and better than other ones mm-hmm. beforehand. He's one up and yeah. Absolutely. And it's not even just spectacle; he has nice little character moments like begging at the ref when he thought he got a three count, um selling his injuries, taking big bumps. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred percent giving performance, so for me, that's match that night MVP, I again, I went a little back and forth on. I was debating whether or not I could separate match of the Night MVP. but I was thinking, could I give it, for instance, give it to Dp for his for me throwing performance? with Eddie Guerrero and to buy the match itself, not being what I wanted to so with Eddie Guerrero. Could I get him two shows in a row with that match? you know, just him in that match. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, it has to be Rey Mysterio Jr. Cause he comes out so strong in his first performance in our show. I have to give it to him.
1: Okay. Respectable choices.
0: Stick with it.
1: <laughs> John, you made up your mind? Yeah, I think so. Okay.
0: Now the match of the night, uh, the first and third were my favorite matches, and those again, like Al, <laughs> mm-hmm. mass fighters. Um, <laughs> I thought that they were they were both fantastic. Action was great. The variety was great. You know, not everything was smooth, but ninety nine whatever ninety yeah. percent of it was 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 awesome. Yeah, no weird hiccups. No, 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 no other story other than Japan was winning against America. <laughs> but I, I'm going to give it to the. Um, Ultimo Dragon and Malenko. Okay. Because it was the strongest opener for any Starcade, I would think. Wow.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, I was thinking the only one that comes close to it probably is the Benoit Liger one last time, but this, but this one had a clean finish, so, mm-hmm. yeah, really strong.
0: It was for me. I, I mean, I guess the the extra sprinkles or salt or whatever you put on top of your Sunday or whatever that that makes it that unique thing, as uh, having a new character in there and developing a bit more respect for Malenko just sweetened that whole match for me.
2: Yeah. Great. Sure.
0: It had all kinds of new uh, nuances for me, and I don't know how to explain it better than that. But yeah, it was it was a great match, despite it being one of the longer openers. I did not mind what, whatsoever. <laughs> there was yeah. always something there. MVP? I'm going to go with Jushin Liger because of his recovery. Like, mm-hmm. just because Absolutely. you know out of anyone else that's here, his brain damage, as several people might be <laughs> <laughs> on the show, <laughs> He is. he's the only one that's fully functioning. So, I... Wanted to give it to him for that, not just for his performance, but to show that he is dedicated to what he what he did. Uh, not to take away from that, but one thing I didn't say about the f- the first match: none of the other matches had tension for me, but the fact that there was nine belts on the line meant something. Yeah. <laughs> And that is why the ending is so bitter to me because there's <laughs> the
1: ultimate belt was not on the line. That's true. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. Malenko, yeah. Malenko and Dragon fight over nine belts. Hogan and Piper can't even fight over one. <laughs>
0: yeah. If you really want to make me happy, make that the last one. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that would be yeah. cool. Yeah, watch the whole thing in reverse. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and on a Liger note, he's been on his retirement tour for the last year or so. January 2020, he's having his two final matches in New Japan.
1: All right, hey, good for him. That's 24 years later. That's that's so great that he had such a long career. It's it's, it's wonderful.
0: Okay. And I, I actually had thought about mentioning the uh, the ref because he
1: had the most character development for
2: that. Oh, <laughs> Patrick?
0: <laughs>
1: yes, I considered giving it to him too. I have not, but I will get to that in a moment. So, match of the night for me. This was a really hard choice. (laughs) There are several terrific matches tonight, and it's a really enjoyable show to watch. You know, I think both of you guys had really excellent choices on that. It makes sense. But I'm going to go with DDP versus Guerrero. Okay. It just has that great combination of match, story, and emotion that nudges it that tiny bit ahead for me. I feel like even if I hadn't known what was going on between these two before watching this match... I'd get enough just from their performances to understand their relationship, and there's a real sense of the larger story between them here, the history between Mm. them. They work together really well, and both are clearly into it and putting their all in their performance. Ending with interference would normally be a problem, but honestly, even that couldn't ruin this for me. That's how good it was. Though it also helps that I know that that's part of a great story as well. DDP and Guerrero are both on the rise in this company. And this match made it very clear why.
0: Mm-hmm. I like your, the way you explain that. I, it's like they're still equals, and one just won because of a technicality.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was so interesting to me watching. too. I, want, I'm not sure if I would have the same reaction if it hadn't been for the fact that the last time I saw DDP was back at you know Starcade '91. Yeah, and so I've seen this big jump in his performance. Mm-hmm. But it's just such a great development for him. That no, I really, I'll agree with that. Yeah. And then Cabrera was just awesome.
2: Like I said, I consider giving DDP just for the character growth separate from me, not like mm-hmm. from the of the match, but I had to go with mature.
1: Yeah. And for my MVP, going the same as you, John, I'm going with Jushin Thunder Liger. There's a ton of exceptional performances here, and honestly, if we'd gotten a diamond cutter in DDP's match, it might have been DDP. Fair point, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Liger pulling off the great performance that he did, less than half a year removed from brain surgery, is absolutely incredible. Even beyond that, it was really cool to see him wrestling in a very different style than on prior shows, but still putting on a terrific performance, playing the power guy rather than the agility guy, and proving equally good at it. Mm-hmm. It's a great showing from Liger here, and his personal story nudges him up to the top. And that wraps up our review of Starcade 96. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can search for us on Twitter or Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. Follow us for episode announcements and other show details, and share your own thoughts about the StarCades as we go through. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a rating or review, and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to OSW Review for our attendance and pay-per-view figures, and to Gina Trujillo for our logo. Join us next time for Starcade 97 Paybacks Are Hell in the midst of an incredible hot streak, WCW has its biggest Starcade yet, focused around the culmination of the year-and-a-half-long NWO storyline. With the WWF in disarray after the shocking exit of its world champion, Bret "Hitman" Hart, WCW has its best chance to land a knockout blow on its primary rival and claim supremacy, sending the WWF spiraling into obscurity. You may have noticed that here in 2019, the WWF, now WWE, is still around and WSW is not.
2: <laughs> I noticed that, yeah.
0: How
1: <laughs> do we know if next year is the pivotal point? That's the that's the question. We'll see what your judgment on it is over time. Okay. This is Bob Moore for Alec Pridgen and John Mullins signing off. Good night, everybody.
2: Happy wrestling.
1: Train your Scorpahawks. <laughs> i was afraid we were going to get through the episode without a Scorpio Hawk's reference nope <laughs> good i did think about a logo for it actually <laughs>
0: yeah awesome yeah, wh- where it's it's got the hawk body and then instead of claws it actually has the pincers and then on its head, with it between the eyes, is the stinger that comes down like an embossed thing. It would be sweet. Yeah, there you go. And just put it in a circle kind of thing. <laughs>